96-7W. Classified top secret subject is... Hey, kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Everybody, and welcome back to what are we? Hey, hey kids, kids comics. comics. Yes, I am Andrew Layla. Getting our name apparently. And he's not Layla. And I waited till he stuffed his face with noodles <laughs> mm. before I said that. Welcome to the only podcast on the internet that does everything that every other comics podcast on the internet does, but with a northern accent. Okay. Do you like that? It's very nice. Ebayek lads, welcome to that. Ebayek, welcome to to show. If you can hear it whirring in background like it, that would be a washing machine because it's still on. It's our beer makers. We're recording this in the basement. <laughs> We've got a still. Yeah. <laughs> um, firstly, uh, I am once again going to plug old episodes. Go and listen to them. Download them. I don't know if they're doing well. I presume they are because I like to presume that we do well oh, yeah. in every endeavour. First of all, I want to thank J. David Weeter who also sent me a copy of the audio commentary for New Frontier. Okay. People want me to listen to that. Apparently so. Apparently so. So thank you, David. I appreciated that you sent me that, as well as Michael. Yep. So I have to, you can listen to it, and I can listen to it at the same time. We can have our own. And we can watch it on TV. Yeah. So you can have it on your iPad, I can have it on my iPod, and we can actually watch it on the on the, on the the DVD. Yeah. As we can sync it up and everything. Or we could put it on the dock and... Yeah, that, that, that would work as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, emails! We don't have anything else to cover today, do we? Nope. Oh, Fantasticast still runs on. Stephen got on at me for not plugging it enough again. <laughs> Hello, still Stephen. Re- still record that? Yeah, we recorded a new one this week. Okay. Damned if I remember which issues we covered. Well. But we did record a new episode. Two from the 80s and one when they only show up for a panel. Yes! <laughs> It wasn't two from the 80s, but it was one where they only show up for a panel. <laughs> Avengers number one. It yeah. was, so they show up for two panels. Did, did you cover the entire issue or just no, two no, panels? No, we, we really didn't uh. do that. Our first email tonight is Let's Not Forget What's His Face, is the title of the email. And it's from lovely Scott Howdy Gardner. Oh, you call him Scott Daug. Scott Howdy Daug. Scott Daug. Or Howdy Scott Daug. That'll work. Yeah. He quite likes the idea of being Howdy. Yeah. <laughs> I love that idea. We just call him Howdy from now on. <laughs> anyway, we've, we've done it again. People think we do this on purpose, but we don't do it. Do we introduce the email and then we and go then off we, on a tangent. Yeah. We don't mean to do that, it's just I'm just not professional, basically. Scott's email begins. Guten Tag. Hello, Scott. Howdy. Howdy. A quick note on your latest release. I'm at the halfway point, and if you're catching any flack for the increase in episode running time, screw them. I think the feedback section just became my favourite part of your show. 
See, I appreciate that compliment. Yeah. But at the same time, we put a lot of effort into picking the comics, reading the comics, synopsizing the comics, picking comics that we think will make for an interesting show. And people choose that. And the bit that people are enjoying the most is the bit that we do nothing for and just yep. read. I reckon Scott just likes us giving him attention, reading his emails. Yeah, yeah, you think that's what it is? You think Scott just likes hearing his own name? He's sat on his throne made of uh, all the money they get from the show. <laughs> <laughs> A few things that begged for me to comment on. Andy, you said, and I quote, It's not my place to sit here and say Grant Morrison sucks and you're wrong for liking him. You're absolutely right. It's not your place to say that. It's mine. Get your own damn shtick. <laughs> that did make me laugh <laughs> number two Watchmen thank you once again for summing up perfectly how I've long felt but have been unable to adequately verbalise about this overrated overblown overhyped masterpiece I certainly don't hate it either but as you said so beautifully I hate what it has become wonderfully spoken sir I agree wholeheartedly. Everyone who holds up this book and says, This is the pinnacle, in my opinion, ought just as well to be screaming, This is the first comic I've ever read! <laughs> because I could give you a list as long as my armor stories that I think better summarize just precisely what the medium is and how it is best represented. Not saying I don't appreciate it on a, it's a decent enough story at level, but it isn't the be all and end all. If it were, I'd have quit comics for greener pastures a quarter of a century ago. Number three, this I command! While it's nice to fantasise that this could have been something that Patrick Stewart belt out on the bridge of the Enterprise, let's be real here. If Picard were ever going to have a catchphrase best suited to his particular command style and personality, it would have to be something more like, discuss amongst yourselves, or if that's okay with all of you. I never really bought, make it so. Every time he said that, I kept waiting to follow it up a moment later with, I mean, as long as no one objects. <laughs> and he'd glance around nervously for approval. Blech. It's another glowing difference between Picard and Kirk. I can't imagine the former ever believably pulling off this I command, whereas it's already ingrained in every word the latter utters. Am I wrong? Give me an amen. Well, I've always preferred Captain Kirk. Yeah. But I do have to say, Scott, that on your Star Trek monthly Mondays, you're giving the second season of Star Trek The Next Generation a much easier ride than I would. I think, by and large, that season's just sanctimonious tedium. There's like... Maybe four or five good episodes in that 22 episode season. So, in that one season of Next Generation, is what Babylon 5 was for in a series. Babylon 5's good. <laughs> when I rewatch Star Trek The Next Generation, I watch a handful of episodes from season one, a yeah. handful of episodes from season two, and then I go straight to season three. Well, I just watch the movies. Oh, but the movies aren't very good. Okay. None of them. Oh. None of the Next Generation. Well. First Contact has moments. Insurrection's much better than people would lead you to believe. Is that the one with the fully facelift people? Yes. Right. We went to cinema watching that, didn't we? No, Nemesis. Did we? Yes. And ne- Nemesis is meh. Anyway, but we're not a Star Trek podcast. Scott and Chris do a Star Trek podcast. Go and listen to it. It's fun. Number four. Important safety tip for groom-to-be Gabriel Jimenez. Yes, dear. A two-word that can save your life. <laughs> yes. Yes, along with whatever you want, dear. Yeah, that, that's that's my personal favourite. But then she doesn't know whatever she wants and actually what you want. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, number five. Thank you for the shout outs and kind words to my co-host. What's his name? Oh, just kidding. Craig has been an invaluable part of Two True Freaks since the very beginning. In fact, there wouldn't be a TTF without his input. Not only does Carl bring the funny to the show, but he pays for the feed. So literally, there wouldn't be a show without it. 
I may have originally dreamt the idea up, but if he'd shot the idea down or shown disinterest in it when I pitched it to him four years ago, then it would have died right there and then. As much as I have enjoyed podcasting, both solo and with other folks, Two True Freaks proper is my first and best love when it comes to this gig. I can't imagine ever doing the show with anyone but Kurt. you unintentionally I'm sure touched a nerve when you said you expected all the money goes to me what the hell first of all I'm tempted to say what money but as we've had some very very generous donations of late I can't really say that in all good conscience but at the same rate make no mistake about it we're certainly not getting rich off this podcasting thing by any stretch let me assure you we have a standing agreement on the network that donations are evenly divided between the hosts of whatever show donations are made to for example when donations were made to Tales of the GSA then Mike and I would split the money if a donation is made to TTF then Charlie and I split the money if a donation is made to Comics Monthly Monday then all three of us split the money but primarily that money goes to keeping the show running not to line anyone's pockets we're podcasters not politicians <laughs> see he says that but that 1971 Dodge Charger he was driving looked like um, a gas magnet didn't it um, that one time I went to uh, Universal and he paid for dinner with a gold credit card oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd check the finances if I was Chris yeah <laughs> we're kidding all seriousness aside I may be more or less the front man for the show, but the real magic happens behind the scenes, and that's where Kenny really <laughs> shines. <laughs> oh, dear thing. So thanks for reminding folks he's half of the equation too. Listening intently, Special Agent Johnson. No, the other one. <laughs> I do love getting emails that make me laugh. Thank you, Scott. I didn't mean to imply that you kept all the money. There is no money. Um, the next email is called Flashpoint and it's from lovely Dave Walker ah. we like Dave hi Dave hi Dave greetings my most excellent friends greetings Mr Walker how are you how's things they're fine since you've covered something Flash related and because I've not written in recently I thought I'd write to give my two penny cents yeah no whatever currency is accepted by you guys we accept any money Dave mm. we're not fussy We'll take anything you want to give us. If you want to pay us in comics, that, that, yeah. that's fine with me. Um, I understand that the John Romita Stan Lee Spider-Man's quite cheap at the minute, if you want to pay us in, in <laughs> both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flashpoint was a series I both dreaded and anticipated, continues Dave's email. Firstly, it was a Flash-related series. I've been enjoying things since Flash Rebirth, especially the art style, and at least once or twice during that time we got hints of Wally West getting to show up in the series at one point, with the obvious rumours of a Flash family title that would deal with stories about Jay, Wally, Bart, and possibly any of the other speedsters that inhabit the DCU. Of course, that never materialised. The dread regarding this came from the fact that I only just started to get into the swing of things with regards to the then new Flash series, and had just finished the first main story out before they started getting prepared for the road to Flashpoint. This was confirmed when they began to say that Flashpoint, which I originally thought was just a Flash event, was going to change everything. And obviously once they'd announced the new 52 reboot renumbering. Once the series itself started, I really enjoyed it. I avoided buying many of the tie-ins since 1. I didn't have the money as I was saving for my American holiday, and B. <laughs> you think he's done that on purpose this time? I so think that he's done that on purpose this time. <laughs> I'd been burned once too often with subpar tie-ins, and that barely had anything to do with what was going on in the series itself. I've now read most of the tie-ins, and I have to admit that I think the Batman title was one of the best, especially the twist regarding Martha Wayne. I did buy the Citizen Cold issues, and was shocked that they killed off Wally in that, though it's entirely possible that was DC's way of telling the people who kept asking about him at the various conventions to shut up about that. 
Speaking of which, I was at one of the panels at San Diego last year and had planned to ask a question regarding Wally's position in the DC New You. But before I could, Dandy Dio made some comment like, and I can't do this as good as my barely, so... If you got a question about Wally West, line up against the left wall. I wonder if that was so he was just going to shoot you off. <laughs> Put your fingers left wall shoot you before you can ask your question about Wally West. Uh, or something like that. So he just put me off from asking. My trip to San Diego also interrupted my reading of the series, so I had to avoid as many spoilers as I could regarding the issues I'd not read yet. One thing I'm going to fit... One thing I'm going to fit... That sounded like the Transformers, didn't it? <laughs> One thing I'm going to finish up this on is that... I always feel the need to take at least some of the blame off Barry for causing the whole Flashpoint thing in the first place. All he did was leap into the past to face a villain that was a twisted mirror image of him, striving to put right what was changed to be wrong and then hoping that he could just leap home. That sounds vaguely familiar. Basically, he did what any hero would do and the fact that he was saving his mother is almost, I feel, beside the point. Someone travelled back in time and not only murdered someone, but also framed an innocent person for it. If Superman, Batman or anyone else really knew the time and place for when someone was going to get murdered, I'm sure they'd do everything in their power to stop it. It's just because it's a time travel thing that whenever Barry does it, things go a little... caca. Anyway, I'll stop though. I'm looking forward to the new 52 Flash coverage because it is, in my opinion, one of the best series currently being published. Oh, and still loving the Zelda music, especially the era-switching melody that was created. I'm pretty sure I have Michael to thank for. Yes, yes you do. Dave. P.S. New Frontier coverage was great. Just was too lazy, busy to write in about it. Sorry. <laughs> you don't have to apologise, Dave. That'll do. We'll, we'll take it. was great. Well, mm. Thanks very much, Dave. We hope you enjoy our Flash coverage. We had more emails like this. Fair enough to send the emails in. It was great. Good. Yep. Liked it. Didn't like it. It was great. It'd be boring, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. If people just said, yeah, it was good, that. <laughs> write in and tell us what you thought. That's, that's always my fun. Our next email is from Aiden, and um, I, I pronounced his name wrong last time, apparently, for which I apologise. It's Mohin, right. despite spelling it with an A. Yeah. So that confused me. I could confuse a stupid person. And it did. Yeah. Uh, the Ant and Deck of podcasting insistent columns, Ant and Deck. Uh, Why, I man? What's that going on there, pet? Hello, Brits. Ah, the new 52. Sigh. I think I bought about 20 or 22 of those books. When did I become... That, that stopped being Geordie at some point, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I do apologise. Uh, very tired. Uh, I think I bought about 20, 22 of those books when it hit. I think I liked about three of them. Batgirl, Superman, Storm, watching Justice League International were the biggest disappointments. Superman was terrible. Terrible. I love George Perez, but God damn it, man. Batgirl was... Let's not talk about it. Stormwatch was... Let me transcribe my first reaction to it. So this is the guy who wrote Family of Blood, Human Nature. The best tenth Doctor two-parter by Nom. This is the comic book he's produced. There is no God and this is the proof. And Justice League International was very stupid and frankly insulting subtext that people need to move on about the reboot. Have you read any Justice League International? Nope. Alright, so neither have I, so I can't comment on that. Batman was great from the start, and I loved it. Green Arrow was stupid and dumb, but it was fun and really pretty to look at. And Action Comics was great until issue 3's terribly ham-fisted social commentary. What was issue 3? Uh, I don't remember either. The one where we started having dreams about Krypton and stuff. Is it? I'll take your word for that. DC needed that reboot, and they needed it badly. The past eight years of DC have been a mess riddled with half-assed reboots that served zero purpose. Infinite Crisis, I am looking at you. They drove their entire universe into the ground, and the only thing that could bring it back would be an old-school Crisis-style reboot, so I was so excited when they announced they were going to do just that. And they half-assed it. They half 
disaster. They cherry-picked what was rebooted and what wasn't rebooted, and that is a horrible mistake. Did Crisis do that? No. And Crisis succeeded. Did Zero Hour do that? Yes. And it failed. Sigh. Um, see, more and more as we go along, we're realising just how much this new 52 wasn't planned that way, mm. with the whole Robin debacle, yeah. which is currently going on. It seems like some parts of it, they know what they're doing, and other parts they don't. It doesn't seem like they know what they're doing with any of it. It, it does seem like some people do know what they're doing with it. Yeah, but they can be overwritten by the powers that be. Wow. And the powers that be seem to have decreed that there is no one in the DC universe over 30 years of age. It's like watching the WB in the late 1990s. Okay. Where every TV show on the air was aimed at 15-year-olds. Some of them were good. Mr. D or not over 30? Yes, but he, he doesn't appear in the comics, does he? Oh, right. Owl's oh, Deathstroke. Character. Is Deathstroke now only 25 as well, like everyone else? Oh, no. He, he, he's got white hair. We all know white hair means old. Because mm. Lady Shiva's now only 20. Is she? Apparently so. She's got a funny helmet. Is she really? Oh, I don't want to see her helmet. Do you know what the biggest failure of the reboot was? Continues Aiden. There was very little creator shake-up. The books just felt stale. Green Lantern especially. There you go. <laughs> Jeff Johns has said everything he wanted to say about the character. And personally, I didn't particularly like what he had to say, but I digress. And he's only on the boot because he sells comics. And I understand wanting to sell comics. I know that comics are a business and all that jazz, but come on, take a little pride in your work. Also, and this is a random note, I'm glad you guys are watching Twin Peaks over in the Leyland household. I actually like the second season a lot. Hell, Lonely Souls is the greatest episode in the show and one of the greatest hours of television in history. Well, we gave up. Oh, did you? Me and Liz have given up. Um, the, the, che- the guy who's in Stargate was out camping with food. Oh, is that not the brilliant one? Oh, there's nothing like urinating. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a great line. And then he, he, he disappears and we got bored about that. Oh, yeah, what's the rest of it? I keep yes, telling her that, but she's like, no. Well, bring it home and we'll like, watch well, it. Well, can I bring it home and watch it? No, no, I want to watch it. Why are you watching it without me? Because you don't want to watch it. Yeah. Michael, I've been bashing Morrison for years and only read All-Star Superman, so I decided I was going to be fair to the man. I'm reading his entire Batman epic, along with Seven Soldiers and Final Crisis plus tie-ins. I will update you on my insane quest. Oh, good luck. I thought you said Seven Soldiers was a classic. Seven Soldiers is very good. Yeah, it's just... Aiden M. Mohan. Well, we were going to cover it, weren't we? Yeah. I sent Michael Bailey a reading order if you would like a reading order. You could send him the same one, then. You could just copy and paste it. I know, that's what I was thinking of doing. Yeah, okay. It's pronounced Mohin. I feel kind of a jerk for correcting your pronunciation, but then again, you British bastards still won't give Northern Ireland back to the Irish, so comparatively, this is fine. Will we not? Um, it's, it's political filth. I, I have no. He was doing so well to that PS, wasn't he? Mm. I, I have no interest in political filth. Every Irish person I've ever met is a top bloke, and every Scottish person, and every Welsh person. But we're not going anywhere near that because political filth has no place on our show about funny books. Ah. Our next email is from Chris Keith. Hi, Chris. Hello. Uh, just entitled New 52 Discussion. Hello, Leylands. Yes, you have me emailing twice in one week. Ah, but see, Chris, because you timed your emails so perfectly, <laughs> they've ended up on two different shows. So we approve of that. Yes. Either it's a lazy week, or I just had a lot to spew via email. Anyway, whilst looking forward to the New 52 discussion, I really am looking forward to rereading some of those books, so I may do so prior to this week's episode. Yes, I'm writing this on Tuesday, July 31st, 2012, so I'm actually caught up in my listening for a change. Oh, good. Well, as we record this, it's the 9th of August. 
and it won't be another two weeks until it goes up. And it won't be another two weeks till he actually hears us read it. Yes. Well, these are these are what you've got to work. We've already planned through to the season finale, and we've got some great stuff lined up for you, lovely listeners. Great stuff. Great stuff. I have. Yeah. You've got three weeks though. Where you're like, oh, what can I do? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but more on that later. My overarching comment about the new Fifty Two: I want to like it. Scratch that. I want to love it. I don't yet. Superman has had some, oh wow, moments, but nothing monumental that has just grabbed me and sucked me into the story. I'm enjoying Morrison and I'm really liking the Superman Jürgen's run this time. I'll be honest, and here's where I differ from our FCTC friends, much of the post-crisis Superman was either boring or cliche-filled, to the point I felt like I had to sift through the books to find the good. The benefit that I had in those days was I missed most of the 1986-1992 and had to catch up after the death. Luckily I found a shop in Austin, Texas that had most of the books for 50 cents, so I made out like Bandit. While the Krypton Man stuff was good and Exile was great and various other arcs, there were months of meh. A lot of months of meh. For 50 cents, I could let it slide. With the new books, 2 99 is a lot of money for a high percentage of meh. That's very true, mm. isn't it? And we have whittled down our We've 52 books. We've been down our mess. Yes, mm. haven't we? Although I do, I, I love the From Crisis to Crisis run up to Eddie Berganza taking over. And then after that, I, I don't think it's the post-crisis Superman anymore. Why? He just starts bringing in more and more Silver Age stuff. Oh, okay. Because Jeff Loeb liked to urinate all over the crisis anywhere. Yeah. So when he comes in as writer, they do the whole Return to Krypton story, where everything you know is wrong, and they just bring back the Silver Age stuff more and more. And I think it's at that point it stopped being the post-crisis Superman. Really. For me, anyway. Other people may have other opinions. Mm -hmm. Other opinions are available. It's the internet. I'm sure you wouldn't have to go far to find them. (laughs) However, continues Chris's email, here's my realisation. Despite the book, you had to sift through some junk and not all of the immediate post-crisis was great or even good. Byrne was great on Superman. Wolfman was so-so. Batman was sometimes a miss and not always hit. Liked Brave Hogle, thought that Alan Grant could be inconsistent. Reading those years as a whole, I felt that it felt as if the creators were flying by the seat of their pants at times. In hindsight, it worked, but I think if there was a DC guy back in 1987, I was Marvel all the way back then, and only picked up Man of Steel, but passed on Superman 1 and Adventures 424, just looked too much like the old and not burning enough for me. I was 11, what can I say? Um, see, um, see, the crisis made me pick up DC books. Yeah. So I can't really say that it wasn't successful. It didn't feel like seat of the pants. The only problem I've had, and I've mentioned this many times before, we were suddenly in an era where you didn't know what Batman's history was because Batman didn't reboot, did he? Mm. Post-crisis, like Superman and Wonder Woman did. So was that very... So that was kind of confusing, yeah, it was suddenly like, the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Marshall Rogers, Steve Englehart stuff happened, Mm -hmm. but the Bob Haney, Brave and the Bold stuff didn't, and suddenly there was no incontinuity Dick Grayson as Robin stories from when he was like 13 or 14, there was some from when he was older, because New Teen Titans didn't change post-crisis. Apart from Donna Troy's origin, which got even more confusing. Okay, then. And it, it was, it was, yeah, it, it got, some of it got a bit confusing. As I got older, I realised how shallow I was being. Hopefully this new era will start to grow on me more. I guess I just need something epic from DC that doesn't involve a lot of death. See, Infinite Crisis, Final Crisis, every book ever written by Judd Winnick. <laughs> and maiming, Chris. Don't forget the maiming. Okay, 
Longer email than I'd planned, but that's the way it goes writing sometimes. I'll try in the future to be more brief. Thanks again for the listening enjoyment, Chris Keith. P.S. Mini review of your first episode. Yeah. I can't believe how polished this episode ended up for a first show. Wow. I'm not kidding either. It felt like you were well into your groove. And I loved the syndrome quote from The Incredibles, a family fave. One complaint, though. Nowhere near enough singing. The Transformers theme was welcome, however. <laughs> Thank you very much, Chris. I, I've mentioned my thoughts on going back and listening to number yeah. one before. So we'll move swiftly over that. Um, yeah, if you've got anything to say about the early episodes that are currently going up on the Two True Fix feed, Two True Pimps, as Michael <laughs> likes to call them, uh, feel free to email in about them, because we never got any email about those early shows. No, we didn't. No. When, did, when did we first start getting emails? I can't remember, but I know for the first couple of shows we had something like 30 or 40 listeners, and that we was it. That. And we were happy with that, weren't we? Yeah. We were made up at 40 oh, people. 10 listeners? Yeah, this we, is well good. <laughs> 10 listeners and 7 of them were family. <laughs> and we were made up yeah. that 40 people wanted to listen to us talk tripe. Mm-hmm. So, our next email is called Flashpoint in the New 52. Are you know, Sina Trendy. I am. It's from Tom Panarisi. Hi, Tom. Hello. Hello, Leyland. I just finished listening to the New 52 episode as well as your coverage of Flashpoint and thought I'd share a few, a few thoughts. Good. Well, that's what the email section is mm-hmm. for. Emailing us about the email section. If you want to. Because I, I really want to know if people, is this working? Yeah. A couple of people have said, yeah, they're loving it. They're really digging it. They enjoy the fact that we spend 45 minutes just waffling. an hour. Yeah. And just going off at weirdo tangents that maybe we sometimes wouldn't cover. I worry that it's swamping the show. Mm. So email in about the email segment. Because maybe what we could do, if people enough people get in, is just say, right, we'll only do five emails each show. Mm. And then if they build up, we'll do an email show, like we yeah. used to do. Well, yeah, the shows are pretty split in half-half at the moment. Yes, because we are putting a lot of effort into what we're reading at the minute as well. Yeah. My notes for what we're doing next week is huge. I've noticed. Epic. But there's an awful lot of backstory about it yes. that I had to cover. So, Anyway, we, we went off on a tangent from Tom. Sorry, I do apologise. A tangent about tangents. Yeah. You see that? Regarding Robin in the New 52... I don't get it either. And you had a great idea considering the back titles. Although I have to correct you slightly. You left out a Robin, which is Stephanie Brown. Yes, we did. Sorry about that. Uh, I know that she's only Robin for a very short time, but that would make five Robins in five years. That's a lot of turnover. And if so many of them quit so quickly, maybe Bruce should rethink his management strategy. <laughs> yeah, but is Stephanie Brown still counted in the new 52? Um, is she not counted as a Robin anymore? Well, there's... A pre-Flashpoint appearance hover three months into the New 52. So was she a Robin? Uh, I've, I've no idea, because she's in Leviathan Strikes, yeah. which was released three day, uh, three months into the New 52. But, but still refers to events. But that one shot is set before. Right. But it's we know <laughs> that one issue is canon because of the continuing New 52 and the mention of it. Is it not safer to just assume that the Grant Morrison Batman is its own little pocket universe? But it's not, though, because it's been mentioned to in in other Bat titles. Right, so you can't even just say this is is Grant's Batman, like Christopher Nolan's Batman. This is his Batman. It's off over in this little corner of the universe. If you don't like it, you can ignore it. But if you do like it, it's the for you. But it has been mentioned. But it has been referenced. Yeah. Right, so you can't do that then, can you? No. Okay, fair enough. 
I also found myself nodding along to your comments, Tom continues, about the host of writers who seem to take great joy in deconstructing the superhero. I've nothing against the idea and enjoy both The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen, though the film adaptation of the latter leaves something to be desired, but I think that it's something that's gotten very tired, and I wouldn't shed a tear if that particular trope went away. Furthermore, I think that stories like Watchmen and Dark Knight have served to further marginalise superhero comics, especially when you come at it to the thought of comic books as literature. I teach high school English. Michael, I don't know what the equivalent of your school would have been. The course is literature and writing, basically. Uh, that would be English lit, wouldn't it? Yeah. We, do, uh, we have English, which is English language, mm-hmm. and we have English lit, which is English literature. Yeah, but for us, up until sixth form, they're both the same. Are they? Yes. And then you split off at English, because you're doing English and English lit in sixth form, aren't you? I'm only doing Eng- English lit. You're doing English lit. Yeah. So it, over here, Tom, you would teach English lit. Mm-hmm. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, into my discussions with other teachers about what comic books are worth teaching. They teach comics! Books in American schools. Used yeah, but didn't you have a big fight with your English teacher about the fact that The Walking Dead is a comic? Oh, media teachers, you won't believe me. But Despite the, the fact that you did you not just take the opening credits in and freeze frame oh, them for And it? I also had an argument with our teacher about how comics are art, and um, they're the using Alan Moore's From Hell to teach in history, even though Liz has come up to me loads of times and said, I'm reading this Alan Moore book and everything in it is wrong. <laughs> so they're teaching it in history, but not pointing out the historical inaccuracies. According to Liz, all of it is incorrect. All of it is made up just to benefit the story. Which is no problem in a text that is not pretending to be historically accurate. But it's based on something that actually happened. But yeah, but see, I don't have a problem with that. As long as you're making it clear mm-hmm. that this is a fictitious account yes. of an event that actually happened, I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. I've zero problem with that. My problem with it is when you're passing this fictitious account off as history. Like that film about the Enigma Code in America, where they made out that the English had nothing to do with cracking the Enigma Code at all, which is not only factually and historically inaccurate... What did we? Yes. But it's in that film, it's all made out that we had nothing to do with it. Okay. And it's passed off as historical fact. That bugs the crap out of me. I have no problem if you're making a fictitious account yeah. of that. So with Captain America crap, the Enigma Code, <laughs> I'm like, all right, fair enough. Because that's obviously a fictitious account. Yeah. But don't you pass off your historical accounts as real unless they are real. Yeah. So if From Hell is saying this is an accurate portrayal of the Jack the Ripper story, and it isn't, then... Alan Moore should be taken outside and, and thwacked seven times <laughs> with a cricket bat. But if he's not saying that, right. then your teacher well, should be teaching it and pointing out the historical inaccuracies. No, I did because I've not read it. No, I've not read it either. And I didn't do history at GCSE either. I thought you had to do history. Yeah, up until GCSE level, and then you can choose what you take. All right, so you didn't do it when Liz was doing it? Yes. All right, fair enough. Sorry, Tom, again we've interrupted your email. They always seem to default to Watchmen and Dark Knight for superhero comics. And for non-superhero comics, they talk up V for Vendetta, Mouse, or The Sandman. I think part of this is because those books are easy to analyse, and quite frankly, they're so commonly used. Finding a class set of 25 copies through a book distributor is less expensive than, say, ordering 25 copies of your average DC or Marvel trade. But superheroes are very much our modern mythology, and I would put Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, et al. alongside Beowulf and Odysseus. Who had their flaws, yes, but did ultimately triumph at the end of those stories. Okay, this rant is starting to become a post all of its own, so I'll stop there. No, you should have carried on with that. I'm quite fascinated by the idea of teaching it in school. 
Oh, that's quite interesting. Anyhow, on to the topic at hand. Great job with the coverage of Flashpoint. I didn't read it when it came out because I was suffering from huge event fatigue at the time, but after listening to those two issues, I might have to pick up the trade and read it, because it sounds like it was a very good story. Why it had to reboot the DCU, I have no idea, except that maybe they were trying to make up for screwing the pooch so badly after Infinite Crisis. I've only been picking up a few New 52 books, and Justice League hasn't been among them. I don't think I will, especially since it sounds like the storyline just dragged along and had very little in the way of real character development. You're right. Why is everyone so cocky? And you're also right. Wolfman and Perez's origin for Cyborg was to the point, made sense, and even 30 years later doesn't seem that dated. Plus, why use Darkseid so soon? Didn't we just have the last Darkseid story in Final Crisis? And why does the first issue of Justice League, which was 40 pages, sound so tedious? I think this and slow-moving storylines in other New 52 books had me reconsidering half of my pull list. Yeah, they're all things that we rose in the show. Yeah. Raised in the show, aren't they? The, it didn't read like an introductory story. It didn't read like a 40-page story. No, and it didn't read like a 40-page story. And my problem with the whole New 52 has been this, we want it all now. Yeah. And you can't do that. If you're going to reboot Batman, you need to reboot Batman from the beginning. Yeah. And then after two or three years, you would introduce Dick Grayson. And then you would have to tell, let him be Robin for four or five years. You can't have it both. You can't have Kate and Edith. Yeah. Or have your cake and eat it, which is essentially the same thing. <laughs> it's, it's irritating. That being said, Scott Snyder's Batman boot's very good. Yes. I apologise if all that came off as too negative, so I'll end on a positive note. No, it wasn't negative at all. There are a few really good books in the New 52 that I have really enjoyed. It's been nice to see Dick Grayson as Nightwing again. Yeah, Nightwing's a great book. Yes. The new Wonder Woman book, while it is definitely flawed, has a horror element that makes it worth reading. That's Brian Azzarello, isn't it? It is. I don't like Brian Azzarello's writing. We, we bought the first issue and you gave up. Yeah. I didn't dislike 100 Bullets. Okay. What I've read of it. But the Batman story he did with um, Ryuzio, Re- Re- yeah. the guy who did the art on 100 Bullets, mm-hmm. I wasn't a fan of. Well, both of them did the Flashpoint Batman time. Um, what else? Yeah, but that's apparently good. It is good. Right. Because Steve Lacey said that's good as well. Yes. And what else did Azarello do that I thought was up to try? Oh, the Superman for Tomorrow. Oh, right, yeah. Which is boring as hell. It's like... Is it not even good to look at? No, no, yeah. If you like Jim Lee's art, it's pretty to look at, yeah. But it's like, you've got 12 issues here. You're being given Superman. You can do any Superman story you want. Obviously, at the end of it, he still has to end up being Superman. But within the confines of that 12 issues, you can do whatever you want. And he tells this god-awful, boring storyline about Superman talking to a priest for 12 issues. Jeez. It was just like The Sopranos, you know, when he would go and see Dr. Melfi no, and talk his problems. It. Right. Well, he only did it for five minutes a show. Okay. He didn't do it for 12 issues. God, and that's got an absolute. Yeah. Anyway, Tom's email. <laughs> Demon Knights is a medieval adventure boot that actually made me want to read Sword and Sorcerer, and Earth 2 began with the type of first issue that Jeff John should have written for Justice League. Yeah, Earth 2's very good. Have you read any of them? I've not. Earth 2 and World's Finest are actually really good, because you can read them separately, but together they give you like the flip side of the same story. Okay. It's really clever. It's really good how they've done that. That actually does seem like the creators are communicating with each other. Yeah. It's a really good book. I quite like both of them. I can't wait to hear about some of the other books you guys have been reading and can't wait for the next episode. All the best, Tom. Thank you, Tom. All the best to you two. Am I the only one who likes Infinite Crisis? It seems that way. It was. <laughs> Our next email is from Sean Foster. 
Hello, Sean. As Hello. we record this, it was Sean's birthday today. Was it? Yes. Happy birthday, Sean. Happy birthday. Which makes no sense two weeks down the line. But we recorded it on your birthday, so think of it that way. Congrats on the reboot, Hey Bid Kids Comics, is the subject heading. Hey Bids Comics. Hey, yeah, it's like when you go on eBay and bid, people are now, we're now going to make people bid on episodes. I'll be amazed if we get more than 5p a show. <laughs> uh, greetings to all those northerners with the surname Leyland. There must be more of them than just goals, mustn't there? I'm, I'm assuming so. I just thought I'd send along some feedback on your most recent shows, covering Superman's Secret Origin, Batman Special Number 1, and Last Rites. Yeah. I greatly enjoyed them. You both came across as younger and hipper, no doubt thanks to the magic of audio editing and clever scripting. That's a surefire way to grab new listeners. Now, I have to admit, I was more than a little shocked that they didn't use the regular Hey Kids comics opening for these shows, but I figured you might have been a bit rushed. And with this sudden and unexpected relaunch of the show, going for a total reboot on a new feed in order to lure in a younger fan base, as well as make a quick book from the numbering is risky, but it should work out for you just as well as it has for DC and Marvel over the last few years. <laughs> uh, though I wonder if you'll end up driving away the very listeners who've been loyally following along the last few years. But that could just be my inner overly critical self speaking out of turn. Anyway, hoping that the new Hey Kids comics is here to stay. <laughs> See what he did there? I did. That was very funny. <laughs> I like that. Okay, now that that not-so-subtle bit of jabbing at and mocking of the trend of renumbering, relaunching and rebooting by the big comic companies, as well as an acknowledgement that I'm listening to the Hey Kids comics classics on the Two True Freaks feed is out of the way, let's get on to the real point of the email. Now, that was that was a very funny opening paragraph. <laughs> on the subject of Midtown Comics in New York City. It's one of the better comic shops in the city. They tend to have good sales on trades and back issues. They also have a veritable wall of bootleg copies of old TV shows and cartoons that haven't gotten proper releases on DVD yet. It's worth a stop if you were ever in NYC and have a few hours to kill. I do want to go to New York. Yes. I do fancy the idea of going to New York. Wouldn't that be pretty upsetting to not see Spider-Man overhead every other... Do you really (laughs) think that in my head I wouldn't see him? Do you really think that would happen? Well... (laughs) my head! Now to speak of your recent coverage of Flashpoint. I had some thoughts on the story and the issues I have with it. Firstly, I don't think it was originally intended to be the catalyst for a relaunch of the DC Universe. I come to this impression due to a Jeff Johns discussion panel I attended at the NY Comic Con back in 2010. Back then, Flashpoint seemed like it was going to be more or less contained in the Flash title, and that Hot Pursuit was going to play a major role in the story. Sometime in the year between that panel and the first issue of the miniseries, things seem to have changed. It might have been another case of DC editorial expanding a limited event into a company-wide thing like what happened to Blackest Night. I don't know, but when the reboot relaunch angle entered into the whole mess, but I don't believe for a second this was all part of some grand plan years in the making, and various things in the last year have only confirmed my belief, i.e. Tim Drake was never Robin. That would make an awful lot of sense, wouldn't it? It would. And there was an issue of Flash solicited. Yeah. Uh, that would have been released the same month as Flashpoint 1. But was and did that never, issue never happen? No, it was cancelled. Right. Mm. Mm. Curiouser and curiouser. Secondly, I'm really bothered by how the whole story ended up being an overblown justification for the changes to Barry's past that John's introduced during Flash Rebirth. Because, heaven forbid, that Barry Allen become a police scientist for any other reason than to find his mother's real killer... Did he really need a Marvel-style tragedy to act as his motivation in life? Or is this another indication that Johns can't write characters without some kind of personal trauma in their past that looms over their present? 
I'll admit that I've always found Barry to be a little dull, and I'm in the camp that feels he should have stayed dead after he saved the universe during the original crisis. But none of this means you can't tell good stories with him as he was. It's been done, and it didn't require altering his backstory by killing off his mom. Killing his fiance is another story, but at least that was something in the present. Yeah, see, I enjoyed Flash Rebirth, but I do remember saying to you after reading the first five pages, yeah. why does this read like it's a Certificate 18 horror movie? <laughs> the, the first couple of pages alone where it's a first person yeah. stab you, yeah. Yeah. Did you see that Mark Word thing that he posted with four panels that never work? The gutters? Yeah. Yeah, I read that every week. Yeah, alright, I thought that was really funny. <laughs> To me, Flashpoint felt like John's trying to say that somehow Barry was better off with his mum dead than he was with her alive, which just comes off to me as lazy writing on the part of the writer. I hate that kind of backdoor justification for major retcons. It ultimately defeats the purpose of choosing to write an established character and having to work within the confines of their existing personal history. Which is sad, because I think Johns was able to do that with Green Lantern. He was able to utilise with the various story elements that predated his run with the character and produced a logical reason for Hal's return that didn't take the piss out of those earlier stories. Thirdly, I also felt that the whole Flashpoint crapsack DCU that Barry created when he saved his mom from Zoom shouldn't have even happened. I mean, he was only restoring the proper timeline, which is something that even Zoom hints is all the universe really wants. And I'm still trying to figure out how his mother living caused Bruce Wayne to get killed. Hmm, maybe she gave bad driving directions to Joe Chill on his way to Gotham, which in turn made Joe so angry that he shot the whiny kid instead of the parents. Anywho, it really bugged me a lot and really pulled me right out of any suspension of disbelief I had when reading the miniseries. Did we say something along those lines that... Well, if he only... Yeah, yeah. if he's only changing the Flash's history, how has this altered everything else? Mm. But it's the butterfly chaos thing. It, that's world, yeah, multiverse. Yeah, that didn't affect my enjoyment of Flashpoint as it was. Yeah. Like Sean, I did scratch my head at the end of it when he essentially had put the universe back to normal, only it wasn't back to normal. Because of what's her face? That I blame Pandora. That. Yeah. Right, okay. See, her story is yet to be told, doesn't it? It is. Do you think she's going to get her story told and everything's going to go back to normal? Or do you think this new 52's been um, too successful? Yeah. It, it, what, yet to both? No, even <laughs> like uh, Didio said that they've already planned a crossover for 2013. Right. And by then there will be continuity right he's sure about that is he if he's as sure as anything oh okay fair enough Which, again oh sorry I'm nothing I was going to make a dig at Didio <laughs> <laughs> Again, which is sad, because I did kind of like the Thomas Wayne Batman and his driving goal to seal Bruce, even if his Earth would be destroyed in doing so. Then again, I wasn't really enthused about much else in the altered DCU, especially the beginning of John's new man crush on Cyborg, <laughs> which is somehow carried over to the new DCU. Hi they. Well, to end on a positive note, that seems to be a common thread amongst this lot, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that the new 52's made people quite negative. Well, I hope we've changed some opinions. I'm positive about it. It's, it's my continuity. Yeah, see, but the problem is, are there lots of you? Are there lots of people your age reading this? Otherwise, it's not going to work. No, they're all sat in the skinny jeans, listening to hipster music and reading Watchmen. Oh, right, okay. Well, to end on a positive note, I thought I'd suggest that you try and get your hands on Darwin Cook's graphic novel adaptations of the Parker novels, being published by IDW. Knowing that both of you are big fans of hard-boiled crime fiction and Mr. Cook, you ought to enjoy them greatly. Until next time, be seeing you. Haven't you been after them? Yes, I am after the Parker things, but they're very expensive, aren't they? Especially the Martini edition, yeah. which is an absolute... But it's Darwin Cook, Yeah, and you're like... Oh, how can I not want to read that? Mm. And I really do. If someone had given me a 50 quid Amazon voucher, 
I would, I would buy them, and then we'd cover them. So yeah. it's reciprocal. But yeah, I really do want to read them, sure. I'm really interested in reading them. Thank you very much. Our next email is from James Hunt, which says, New readers, new 52 Justice League. Hey, Leylands from across the Pennines. Hello, James. Hello. It's been a while since I emailed, probably a year. Imagine I got you some flowers from the garage and all is forgiven. Oh, all's forgiven, James. Email him whenever you want. He died in the mail. You're so cynical. <laughs> I've done my job well. Uh, I thought I'd give you my thoughts on DC's new 52 Justice League, as I'm a newish reader. I've only been reading comics for three years and couldn't get into DC when I tried, mainly because of the lack of a catch-up page like Marvel, and so didn't know what was going on. I suppose stuff like World of New Krypton and Blackest Night wouldn't have helped in that regard for new readers, would it? No. Can you imagine coming in in the middle of Blackest Night? Can you imagine coming in the middle of New Krypton? Yeah, that would be even worse. Yeah. You're picking up an issue of Superman and going, where the hell's Superman? <laughs> who's this other bloke yeah, who's, in red? Who's, who's, who's this dude in red? Who, who's he, Monel? Yes. Yeah. I was excited for the New 52 because here was my opportunity to jump on. No complicated continuity or confusing characters I'm supposed to know all about without explanations about why I should care <laughs> about them. Oh, how I was wrong. I started with about 20 odd books to give a go, including Justice League, the Batman titles, the Green Lantern titles and Super titles, as well as the Flash and some random titles that look cool like Resurrection Man. A year on, I'm on to about 8 books. This is roughly what we're down to, isn't it? Apart from Zero Month, where you've made me buy everything. Oh, I've made you buy everything? You've made me buy most. I didn't. You said, come over here, what do you want? I've got this big whole list. Ah, that's a lot. Shut up. Sure, I don't want to blame you when mum, when the bill comes in. <laughs> so your mum can't look at me. Scott's side is Batman, which is the best comic I've ever read. Nightwing, Batman and Robin, which are both pretty good. Superman, which is alright. Resurrection Man, although that's getting cancelled. Flash, which is pretty awesome. And the art is something special. Supergirl, which is just fantastic. And I can't believe I thought I'd dropping it before I read number one. Finally, I've kept Justice League because I do enjoy the team. With regard to Justice League's first arc, I must admit I enjoyed it, but was very confused by it. I must thank you for naming the Parademon in issue one, because I didn't know what it was. Very new reader-friendly, Mr. Jones. Yeah, mm. I think that was... I should have made a point of mentioning that if I didn't. That I was calling it a Parademon, because I know it's a Parademon. Yes, but other people don't. Yeah. Furthermore, I like the dynamic between Green Lantern and Flash, but wish that the basis of their friendship had been explored a bit further, as I don't know why they're friends. We only get a brief idea they work together fighting a giant gorilla. This is, goes to what I'm saying. They want everything to be just there, well, without having to do any of the work setting it up. It's the same as pre-New 52, the friends there. Yeah, but we, we saw them grow to be friends in the pre-New yes. 52, didn't we? Yeah. Whereas... In this, they just are. There's no explanation. There's no oh, how they first met. It's the middle of a story. Well, there is. Yeah, except things happened before it. I must admit, I don't like Aquaman. His first appearance at the end of issue three made me think he was a dick. <laughs> His first words of "So who's in charge?" "I vote me." Made me think, "Who the hell are you?" Superman's in this team and gets captured, so he doesn't really feature. Wonder Woman was fun, although she was very similar to Thor in his movie. For example, I'll always remember the pet shop scene where Thor walks in and says, I need a horse. And the shop assistant says, we don't sell horses. To which Thor replies with, fine, give me a dog that's big enough to ride. Wonder Woman's ice cream scene reminded me of this. I like this ice cream. Another! Yeah. She was Klingon. Yeah. Finally, my biggest problem with you both highlighted in the podcast was Darkseid. I'd heard of him, so I was pretty excited to see what all the fuss was about. He didn't do anything impressive. Yes, he broke Green Lantern's arm, but after hearing Green Lantern can do anything speeches, I almost cheered. Darkseid's looking for his daughter, but we don't know why. And in the end, he gets taken out by Cyborg, whose powers I don't understand. 
All in all, I did enjoy Justice League, and I'm still reading it, but looking at it in detail, there wasn't much payoff in the first arc. The art was pretty, though. Keep up the podcast and stay cool. James Hunt from East Yorkshire. Thank you, James. There's nothing, though, that we disagree with. And an email that came in just as we sat down to record. Indeed. Just on the button, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. Hey, Luke. Hey, Luke. The Justice League or the Just Us League? Is his Uh title. Very good. I like that. Avast, you scurvy Leylanders. Pirate Day. (laughs) Just finished listening to your first new 52. Go on, do it all in a pirate voice. No. Alright, okay. Do you want to do this one then? Okay. Just finished listening to your first new 52 episodes, talking about the new Justice League title. I've never really read Justice League for an extended period, just a story here or there. So while I was curious about the series, ostensibly being the centrepiece of the new DCU, I really had no intention of picking it up. I got the first issue for free and thought it was good. Better than I was expecting, honestly. Yeah, well, when you get stuff for free, yeah. you always go, that was quite good, that, because you've not paid anything for it. I want to pay for Justice League. Well, no, I do. I I'll drop it if you want. Oh, no. no I'm not bothered about keeping getting that. It's grown on me. Well, like a fungus. Um, but it didn't bother with the rest. I don't feel I've missed much, honestly. I am a Jeff Johns fan of that, there is no doubt. I loved his stuff on Flash, both the Wally title and the Barry title. The Justice Society of America and, of course, Hawkman. But this title never really called to me. And it's not that I don't like the characters involved. Superman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman and the Flash are all characters I'm a big fan of. Green Lantern, eh, I can take a lean. Cyborg, well, I liked him in the Teen Titans cartoon show, and that's about my knowledge of him. And Batman, well, everyone has a certain level at which they're a Batman fan. A theory which I have dubbed the minimum Batman appreciation. Index. <laughs> but I'm not high enough on the index to consider myself a true Bat fan. Most of the Batman comics I like also have the words and the outsiders in the title. Batman and the Outsiders was a good book. Was it? I like that. Jim Lee's art has never really done it for me. I can appreciate it, but I have yet to look at a book because Jim Lee was the artist as opposed to anyone else. Even back in the 90s, I never really got on board with his art as much as others did. It's good, but something I would go out of my way to pay money to see certainly gotten very more simplistic compared to his other stuff. You think? Yes. There, his work on Say Hush yeah. is his best work. Because it's Isn't not his I'm Rob Liffield. He had a lot of time to work on it. It might have, but it's certainly not his Bliffield-esque X-Men work. Do you not like his work on X-Men? No, it's it's very definitely 90s. Uh, well, yeah. But, but, but I think his work is still very definitely 90s. Did, but at Hush time, there was so much detail and Everything. Well, you've whereas, got Hush unwrapped, haven't you? Yeah. Where you just look at the pencils. Yes. Yeah. Whereas this new Justice League stuff is more simplistic than his Hush work. Isn't that because he's keeping to a deadline, though? Not very well. <laughs> Fair enough. I think at the end of the day, I was always reminded that Johns' work, for me, plays better when he's handling a solo title rather than a team. A lot of people forget that Johns had a run on the Avengers in the early noughties, in the time before Bendis took over the Avengers. Disassembled essentially ended the old Marvel Universe for me. Johns' run was good, good, but not great. He didn't have the knack for an ensemble cast the way that his predecessor Kurt Busiek did. Now, Busiek's run had its low points, I would call Silverclaw a definite low point, but it was extremely good at juggling the various characters in the cast and making sure everyone sounded right. Jones was less skilled at this, and he seemed to not get the voice for certain characters. Iron Man, in particular, was very poorly handled under Jones, and as Iron Man is my favourite comic book character, well, ever, that came to be a sticking point for me. His best issues were the ones which dealt with one or two characters. There was a great issue which was a spotlight on Ant-Man, Scott Lang and his Jack of Hearts, who were always at odds with each other. What's wrong with Ant-Man? He's dead now. 
It's got a lang. Yes. Is it? Bender's killed him and disassembled. And didn't bring him back. Didn't bring him like back. Like he did with Hawkeye. At all. In fact, there was no reason for it. In disassembled, not only is it a bad story with poor writing, with a terrible Deus Ex Machina ending, but he kills off people for no reason. But hasn't he said he now regrets that? Definitely. He came in and kicked over all the tables and was upset when people were upset with him for doing it. Yeah. And he's now kind of humble. His ego, he said, he freely admits, there's an interview with him I've read. Yeah. He freely admits his ego got in the way. He came in to do the Avengers and he was like, I'm going to make my mark on this book. This book's been stayed and dull for so long. And he came in and wrote Disassembled and was actually quite shocked at the backlash against him. Because yeah. he thinks he was at the point there where his poo didn't stink right. to keep us family friendly. And that kind of knocked him down a peg or two. But uh, Alias was good. He was going from a really great... Yeah, well, to is there an argument that with Bendis he would be better not writing superheroes? I mean, these Avengers stuff is good. So past disassembled, it's worth reading, is it? Yes, because then it gets to one big story, where Secret, say Siege, hmm. is the wrap-up to everything he's been doing since disassembled, so it's one big long right. story. See, because for me, I always get the impression he'd rather not be writing them. So he turns them into yak fests, and he always seems to... He seems to put great emphasis on the fight scenes being as realistic as possible, so people lose teeth. Yeah. Is that right? Whereas superhero fight scenes don't have to be like that. That's no. not the point. And he's the one who's a strong advocate that the Hulk must have killed somebody. Because <laughs> you can't have brought down that many buildings in New York and not kill somebody. It's a decent argument. Yeah, but for the most part, the writers prior to him were smart enough to not have him rampaging through New York. Yes. If you actually read a lot of those Lenween Hulk comics, he's out in the desert most of the time, mm. where people aren't getting hurt. And even when he smashes two planes together, you see that they they've ejected. The yeah. yeah. So it's an argument that, yeah, if there was 20 years worth of the Hulk smashing through New York, it would hold water. Yeah. But there isn't. The Hulk writers prior to that were smart enough to not have him do that. Mm-hmm. So I always kind of thought maybe he doesn't want to be writing this. And these little ticks just started to irritate me. Like you've pointed out p- repeated panels. Yeah. And lots of ums and yeah and mm. And it's like, I know people talk like that in real life. Yeah. If you just sit on a bus or on and a train and talk. listen to real conversation, it's god boring. It is full of people swearing a lot because they don't know what to say next. Or yeah. saying like because they don't know what to say next. And the other person's not actually listening to them. So it's a very one-sided conversation. And it's duller yeah. than dirt. Because yeah. it, it used to kill me when people would criticise the Scream movies or Buffy for saying, well, real teenagers don't talk like this. No, they don't! But if you made a real TV show how teenagers really talk, God, it would be dull. Yeah. I don't mind stylized dialogue. Or not dialogue. Sure before nine o'clock. Yeah, or not shown before nine o'clock. Yeah. There is no TV show on television that has people talk how people really talk. Yes. So that was always just such an invalid criticism. That's also one of the things I like about Bendis, though, that he does write how people talk. See, I find that really boring to read. Fair enough. Isn't there a Murray Jane, Peter Parkerish of Ultimate Spider-Man that is, um, um... Is that the other one that you hate when he tells her that he's spider I don't know that I necessarily hate issue 13 in retrospect. <laughs> I hated that everybody was falling over to themselves to say that this was the best issue of Spider-Man ever written. Yeah. And I read it and thought, no it isn't, Maybe because it's not an issue of Spider-Man. No! 
Because even then, it's not an issue of Spider-Man. It's an issue of two people talking. Yes. And it's one of them, again, it's not a story. It's a bit of a story. As like a two-page epilogue to a proper Spider-Man story. You know, like Stan would have done it. Mm -hmm. I'd have probably been down with it. Yes. But as a full issue? No. It was dull. But everybody loves it, except me. But So again, other opinions are available. Okay. If you like it, I'm not saying you're, you shouldn't like it. I just thought it was boring as hell. And it was one of those things as well where I started realising that I was noticing things about his writing that I didn't like. Yeah. So my personal take on that then is it's time for me to not read his stuff. But you carried on doing it anyway. No, I did with Ultimate Spider-Man because I was enjoying but it for the most part. You stopped when... I stopped when Bagley left. You didn't, you carried on until did the I? end of the series, yeah. I thought I left when Bagley did. No, you stayed on until the end of Volume 1. Did you I? gave up... When they relaunched it with a new number one? Yes, but which you have the trade paperback you haven't read yet. Oh, right. And that's as far as you go. Okay. And then they've killed him off and put Miles Morales in. Yeah. And there's a part of me that's just not interested. No. It may be really good. Enough people whose opinion I respect say that it's really good but I'm just not interested and it's not Peter Parker yeah I'm not interested in Spider-Man that isn't Peter Parker I don't care how well written it is I'm not interested especially since it's not like Nightfall where uh, the whole point of Nightfall was let's put somebody else in the bat suit but you knew Bruce Wayne was coming back yeah and the same with Prodigal this is very definite this is Peter Parker's not coming back yeah so like I'm like well what reason have I got to read this book then I'm not interested. I don't care. Are I don't you care. Spider-Man. No. Yes, we've been buying Spider-Man. Have you read it yet? I've read the first two issues, which is all we've got so far. Are they good? Meh. They're Bendis. Okay. The, there are elements of it where you're like, I, I see that he is a good writer. Yeah. And then there's bits of it that I'm reading it going, and I see why he infuriates me so much as a writer. There is no writer currently working in comics today who so irritates me at the same time that I respect his talent as Bendis. Okay. There are people who are well-respected as writers that I think are utter tosh. Yes. And there are people that I think are very underrated. And then there's people that I think that do good work. Yeah. But Bendis as a writer is somebody who is put on such a pedestal and I can see why he's on that pedestal. It's not like the Grant Morrison thing where there are times where I can't see why he's so lauded. Yeah. Despite acknowledging that there is work he's done that I have liked. Yes. But I don't understand why he's held up to being the best. Whereas I can see with Bendis why he may be put on that pedestal. But at the same time, there's just so much with his work that irritates me that I just need to step away from it. Yeah. And leave him to get on with it. Because obviously, I'm not going to like a lot of this. And to read it would just make me grumpy. And A, I don't want to be grumpy when I read my comics because I read them for fun. Mm -hmm. And B, I don't want to spend my money on something that's going to make me grumpy. Okay. I don't mind buying stuff for you right. that I don't read. Yes. I have no problem with that because I'm buying it for you. Mm -hmm. That's in exchange for you not getting pocket money. So yeah. that's a fair trade. But at the same time, I'm not going to buy books for you that I read and go, this is a piece of crap because I'm not buying it for me. You still say it's a piece of crap anyway. I know. I, I've never said something's a piece of crap that I've not read. Right. The Miles Morales Spider-Man stuff is a prime no, example of that. Like things that you've bought me and yet read yourself. I would never say they're a piece of crap. Okay. At least, have, have I ever done that? I don't know. I don't think I have. There's some things you read that I'm just not interested in. Yes. I'm not that interested in Justice League Dirt, but you're thoroughly enjoying it. Yes. So I continue to buy that for you. Mm -hmm. I, I don't mind buying you comics. At least you're reading something. Yeah. Like the majority of the world. When did reading become a minority sport? It just irritates when, the hell out of me. Um, TVs and game consoles and stuff. Made people dumb. 
I still play. I still watch TV and play gaming console. Well, so do I, but I like reading. Mm. Yeah, that's just me. Uh, anyway, Luke, sorry about that, Luke. <laughs> we went off on a really big tangent there, didn't we? Um, this is the sort of story which month in, month out, Johns can nail. His Aquaman run, which could be titled Aquaman and Murrah and still be accurate, is an example of this. So is Flash and Hawkman, which similarly dealt with most two main heroic characters at the time. So how to reconcile this with a book like JSA, which Johns controlled for years and was consistently excellent? I think it has more to do with the cast of characters than anything else. Save Hawkman and possibly Power Girl, none of these characters were regularly appearing anywhere else, so Johns could do what he wanted with them, because he was the only one writing them. They sounded right because he was the one who gave them the voice in the first place. And Hartman, well, he was writing the solo boot for most of that time too. Similarly, when he was writing Teen Titans, only Robin really appeared regularly outside of those pages. Compare this to writing The Big Seven, or if you prefer The Big Six and Cyborg, <laughs> where nearly everyone has at least one solo book in addition to the team book. I don't know if this line of thinking is accurate or not, but it's certainly my take on it. It makes sense, it does. doesn't it? So though the writers have complained about that when doing stuff like the Justice League. Mm. It's why when doing the Avengers, some like Roger Stern brought in a whole bunch of people who didn't have their own books, like Hercules yeah. and the Wasp and Captain Marvel and um, Hawk, not Black Knight. Is it Black Knight? I can't remember. Because they don't have their own books, we can do what he wants with them. Yeah. With Captain America, he's got to defer to what's going on with the Captain America book. Yeah. Which is fair enough. Whereas at the moment, the Superman in Justice League and the Superman in Action Comics are different. Yeah. They're very different, aren't they? Yeah. There's no consistency. In any event, I enjoyed your coverage of the series and I'm looking forward to hearing more of your thoughts on the new 52. Keep up the good work, lads, Luke. Well, thank you very much, Luke. That provoked a discussion. It did. (laughs) Thank you to everybody who emailed in. We're at the hour mark, so we're going to take a break and refuel up on liquid refreshment, and we'll be right back with The Flash. No, no, no. You want to get us another drink? I'll be right back in a flash. Very good. I like that. Let's have another drink. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You are changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. Anyhow, mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You athletes can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the Phantom Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak. Blind or Hulk. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. And it shall sustain him till it has been drained of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame! 
SLOMBERING TIME! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Fourcast, ffcast.libsyn.com Right. You want to do one more back? Oh, that. Do you want me to do it because you've got your mouth stuffed with biscuit? Ow. And we're back. In a flash. Yes. That's, I like what you did there. Uh, this week's new 52 book is one of my personal favourites of the relaunch. Mm. Is it one of yours? Yeah. Okay. The Flash. <laughs> Excellent. Good. I'm enjoying it. End of show. I'm not enjoying it enough. <laughs> Along with All Star Western. Yeah, I think this has been the big surprise of the new initiative for me. Now, I don't read all the books, because that would cost far too much money. But the pleasant surprises for me personally have been few and far between, I have to confess. Um, the Bat books have been surprising in how good they've all been. We've been enjoying most of the Bat books, haven't we? Batman is still the best one. Yeah. Um, I followed up with The Dark Knight, but because even, of David Finch's artwork. Even that started to... Well, who's... Paul Jenkins isn't writing it anymore, is he? There's it's another writer come on board. Is it Greg Hurwitz? Yeah. So I... I mm, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm enjoying that a bit, but... David Finch's artwork's really good. I think that's why I like that one. Detective and Batman and Robin are a bit iffy. Yeah. It's been, it's been mine. Nightwing's great. Yes. I'm really enjoying Nightwing. But I've, I like Nightwing. And the issues of Batgirl we read were decent. Yes, but we've not carried on reading that no. just for monetary issues um, All Star Western caught me by surprise as well although I've always been a Western fan I've never read Jonah Hex in any quantity till Scott Gardner did his Jonah Hex podcast and I've enjoyed Earth 2 and World's Finest but for the most part I think a lot of it's been a bit samey like the Green Lantern books yeah or uh, disappointing the Superman books I mean we both think the Superman books are disappointing don't we it's had its moments Action Comics has had its moments, but yeah. then it's like Grant Morrison will do a really good one, and then he'll follow it up with a next issue one. Issue 9. Yeah, Issue 9. Yes. Was a, did you like that one? Because you did, keep yeah. ri- ripping on me for thinking that one was tough. I enjoyed that one. Did you? It follows up with another, so it didn't reboot then, by bringing up a character introduced in Final Crisis. Yeah, but, but I think of all of them, I think we have to acknowledge Superman's rebooted. Yeah. Of, the, of all with, of them. With Superman, I always dread reading it but when I start reading it I enjoy it but then stop reading it and wonder why I enjoyed it it's not your favourite of Grant Morrison's works oh action comics is good but Superman yeah I'm maybe dropping Superman right I've given that book a, a year now when you get to the zero issues and it just doesn't feel like Superman to me at least with action comics you've yeah. got the caveat that this is the new rebooted Superman in his early days or is Superman the the Clark Superman in Superman seems very much like the old Superman. No, which it, is much different to the action. It doesn't. Justice League Superman. The new, the Superman book doesn't feel right. I don't know what it is. I can't quite put my finger on it. At least with action comics, you can say this is a rebooted universe, yeah. and we're doing it from the beginning, well, which is what they all should have been. Yes, but with Superman. Well, which is funny since both writers on that book have written Superman before. Yes, but they've been given the keys to the kingdom here to do what they want and yes. they're doing that and they're doing an adequate job of it whereas the Superman book it just feels like I don't know whether it's the change of creative teams I don't know whether it's the feeling there's no internal continuity it's one six issue story for the trade paperback yes. and it's another six issue story for the trade paperback and I don't know whether that's stopping me from connecting emotionally with the stories 
because it's like this is just one story, it doesn't mean anything, and then the next one will be along. At least Morrison's action comics run, there is a feeling of building up to something. Well, yeah, there's been hints throughout all of it that we'll make a one yeah, thing, and, and he's only doing it for 16, so it'll be one story there. Yeah, but then the next guy who comes along may pick up on that and carry it forward. Or he may start, start and do his own. No, I will say I'm hoping not. I'm hoping they will take what Morrison does and build on it and carry on and do something different, mm. but within what Morrison has set up. If this is the new origin of Superman, then whoever follows him should follow well, that. Morrison has said that the further he gets, the closer he gets to 16, the closer it will get to the present day until issue 16. It's set now. <sighs> so action will be set. Well, so there's going to be no build-up of continuity then. Mm. Yeah. Alright, fair enough. We'll, we'll see how that goes, but I am considering dropping Superman. I'm keeping getting action comics. Uh, Earth 2 and World's Finest I've already talked about. Um, OMAC was a nice surprise. Was it? Yeah, I quite liked OMAC. I don't touch that. Why? The deal puts me straight on. Oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, and I think I need to read GI Combat and yeah. Men of War. I've not read any of them. They look like they may you, be fun. You've read an issue I read an issue of Men of War, but I never carried on reading it, and I want to. I read the last issue, which was Jeff Lemire about Frankenstein. Right. See, my thinking with those books, they're going to end up in the 50p bins. The cancelled ones. Yeah. yeah, so I may as well just wait and pick them up then. Mm. And pick them up in the 50 pence bins. Um, but the real, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off book, in terms of standard superhero was this one The Flash. Mm. This has been a real pleasant surprise. Okay. Now, um, I read The Flash on and off as a kid. I knew who he was and what his deal was, and I kind of liked it, but it wasn't a favourite. I liked, he had an exceptionally good rogues gallery. Which yeah. is always fun in a comic book. The best rogues gallery in comics: Flash, Batman, Spider-Man. Okay. And not in that order. I think yeah. Spider-Man's got the best rogues gallery in comics. Yeah. Other people think Batman have. Both opinions are valid. But Spider-Man is the biggest rogues gallery. Well, for me, there's not much in it. For me, both Batman and Spider-Man and the Flash. I would throw the Flash in there as well. Have such a good rogues gallery <laughs> that it's hard to say which is the best. The best thing I can say about Batman is they haven't messed it up over the years. Two-Face is still Two-Face. Joker is still the Joker, albeit maybe without a face now. Um, Penguin, the Catwoman, Clayface, they're all... I mean, there's been three different iterations of Clayface and Two-Face. But they haven't really messed them up. Whereas you can argue, in Spider-Man's case, some of them have become a bit messed up over the years. Doctor Yes, especially. But for the most part, for me, there's very little light between the three of them. I think all three of them have an exceptional rogues gallery. Um, I enjoyed the TV show, which you didn't, from 1990. But I, I love the Flash TV show. And the Flash TV show's awesome. And I liked Crisis on Infinite Earths, where Barry Allen bought the farm. But for me, my Flash was Wally West. Because I read the new Teen Titans as a kid. More on that next week. And Wally's story art was interesting, because he grew up and gave it all up. Yeah. And then he took over the mantle of the Flash. Post-Crisis, he was the Flash, and then we've covered that on the show. The Matt Wade stuff was awesome. I also understand the Jeff, run- Jeff John's run is also good, but I've not got there yet. Mm-hmm. I've kind of called it a day at issue 100 of the Flash, and I'll get back to it later. I'm currently reading the Avengers, Rod Stern's Avengers run. Unlike the return of Oliver Queen, who was my Green Arrow, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, Oliver, Oliver Queen was the Green Arrow. I know there were others. Was there? Yeah. I Connor Hawk was Green Arrow for a while, wasn't he? I thought it was Speeder. Connor Hawk, isn't it? I thought, was, I thought it was just Speeder. Is that a different one? I don't know. I can't remember his name. Um, but the return of Barry Allen, it wasn't a deal breaker, was it? No. For, it was a, wasn't a welcome return, 
but it wasn't um, oh well, I'm never going to read this book again kind of thing it was like well alright if they're going to go for the the iconic versions of the characters then are right, I can live with this Flash Rebirth was read and moderately enjoyed although we've mentioned that it featured some of the patented Jeff Johns ultraviolence yeah. and when the new 52 material was announced I had no idea who Francis Manipal or Bruce Buccaletto were did you not? no because I hadn't read the Flash book yeah. after Rebirth I read Rebirth and that was it Okay. I'd read any of the other stuff. And when New 52 was announced, I was kind of like, well, what's the point of going back and reading it? Because it's not going to matter. Well, I had high hopes of this anyway, just because of the art. Yeah, because these guys were drawing the Jeff Johns relaunched Flash in between well, Rebirth and Flashpoint. Well, I thought it was, anyway. Was Brian Bacalato? No. I'm not. Well, he's the chorist, I'm, isn't he? I'd stumbled upon his deviant art as well. And he's Manipal. got his pencils on there, and I'm like, oh, wow. Right. Okay, see, I don't go on deviant art. Yes, there's a lot of artists on there. Yeah, well, good. Is it good stuff? I may have a browse at one point. There's so much is best to be ignored. Yeah. Thor and Loki. I don't want to know. No, you don't. No, I don't. Flash issue one came out on the 28th of September 2011 with a cover by Francis Manipal of The Flash, running towards the reader in an iconic running pose. It's exceptionally good. With electric super flashes flurring around the character like on the cover of Flashpoint. I like the logo as well, which is quite simple but clean and effective. There was a variant cover by Ivan Reese of Barry changing into The Flash that was also pretty good. A pencils variant of the Manipal cover and a recoloured version for the second printing. Didn't you find the electricity on Flashpoint annoying? Um, no. I don't think I mentioned that it was annoying. I asked you, was it a continued thread throughout all the covers? Yeah. I didn't ask, I didn't think it was annoying. Because they're using it again on this cover. That's a really good cover, that. It looks like the pencils have just been coloured. A lot of his artwork is like that. Is that what it is? Yeah. Right. Okay, fair enough, that would explain it. The issue doesn't seem to have a title other than The Flash. The stories by Francis Manipal and Brian Buccaletto with art by Francis Manipal and colours by Brian Buccaletto. Sal Cipriano lettered, Darren Shan was the assistant editor and Brian Cunningham was the editor. I don't think it's the same Darren Shan who's a writer. Probably not. I wouldn't have thought so. At the Tech Symposium in Central City, Barry Allen and his date Patty Spivert meet Dr. Darwin Elias. But before they can get into a green energy source conversation, terrorists attack. They unleash sleeping gas, but Barry Allen disappears, and the Flash makes the scene busting heads and cracking jaws. He disarms the crims sharpish, but they grab whatever they came for and all leap into a waiting helicopter. The Flash follows and manages to grab the doohickey that they were stealing, but loses his footing, and he and a terrorist fall from the copter. Flash vibrates the crim through a wall, but continues to fall, and he vibrates himself at the speed of light through the floor into the sewers. Flash returns the portable genome recoder to Dr. Elias, which is what the criminals were stealing, and makes the scene as Barry Allen and he and Patty investigate a dead body. Barry is surprised as he thought they took everybody out without harm, but it turns out that the terrorist he vibrated through the wall was killed on impact. When the mask is taken off, Barry recognises the face as Manuel R. Largo, an old college friend. Irish West shows up asking about the dead body and is the Flash responsible and that she'll call later. She's a very nosy reporter, is Iris West. Director Singh, back at Police HQ, asks that no one talks about this. No one. Dr Elias tells the Flash he wasn't responsible. He doesn't know what was, but it wasn't him. Flash borrows the decoder and Barry investigates how Manuel was involved. Barry discovers Manuel's DNA was altered, but Iris won't stop pestering. Manuel shows up at Barry's apartment and he and Barry are attacked. They run. Barry falls into the water and emerges as the Flash, 
only to be surrounded by multiple Manuels. Manny! Mr. Hicks, Mr. Hicks. <laughs> he subpoenaed me, Mr. Hicks. Oh, dear me. Um, I love page one, panel one. Meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom... It's my note, that. Is it? Is it? Have you got exactly the same note? No, I, I wrote that. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. It's not in bold. I must have forgot to put it in bold, but I wrote that. Okay, fair enough. I did like that, though. <laughs> do you want to do it now? <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I'm sure I did that note. <laughs> Alright, fair enough. Um, pages one and two. They're talking about um, a very interesting theory about traffic congest- congestion. Where they say by building more highways doesn't reduce traffic. It does the opposite. Increases the volume of motorists and generates more traffic. And the, the theory is that they should knock them down. Because in Seoul, in South Korea, they demolished an elevated highway leading to a rejuvenation of the area and a reduction of traffic. It sounds plausible, but... How would it work in practice? Yeah, I mean, he's giving a real-life example there, I presume. Hmm. I don't know. What do you think about that? It does sound like it could work, doesn't it? It would also decrease the number of routes you could take somewhere. Mm, So, yeah, so has he then just moved the traffic somewhere else? Yeah. So, yeah, it's reduced congestion there, because they've knocked down the road. Hmm. I wonder if that's that's legit. But instead of going through the mountain, they have to go around the mountain. Yeah, and it's created traffic elsewhere, so they're okay. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, I love the discussion about the monorail. And again, it's theoretical renewable energy. I like that the writer gives both sides of the argument in this case. A green high-speed monorail that runs on a type of renewable energy. And Patty is saying it's a theoretical yeah. renewable energy. So this goes into what we've said before. The writer's giving both sides of the argument and having both points of view articulated by the characters. So we don't know what side of the argument the writer's on. Mm. So I like that. The points of view of both renewable energy and increased traffic are put forth in a good way. It's not preaching and we're not getting the idea that the writer is on a specific side and saying this is the way it should be. Yes. I'm always for that. I don't mind putting both sides of the argument for. So then you can go, oh, I don't agree with that. <laughs> um, page three is awesome, where Barry sneaks off and presses the ring and the suit kind of engulfs him. It's great, isn't it? Yes. It's a great panel. Oh, I really like that. I, I like the credits in between the panels as well. Yeah. I've always been a bit of a fan of that. And uh, I like the costume, how it works, and how it grows in him like Iron Man. Yes. But wait for it. Yeah. Pages four and five are even best, with Manipul seamlessly merging the credits into the story and making it look great. It's it's fantastic. Pages four and five are magnificent. There is no other word to describe it. It's a two-page spread uh, of the Flash with different panels forming a circle around the title character at the top, showing the terrorists releasing the sleeping gas, and the panels at the bottom are in the letters The Flash, uh, and it's the character taking them out quickly in the words. Uh, there's a saga cell, like in the old comics, explaining who the Flash is and yeah, how he came to be. Uh, do they? Mm. See, at the time, this was the only one that had them, wasn't it? No, Which... they've all had them from the start. Have they? I think, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, Nightwing does. Yeah, you're Action right. Action does. Yeah, you may be right. Um, but this explaining who Barry Allen and the Flash. This stunned me the first time I read it and yes. thrilled me. It's like, look, a writer who is A assuming that this is the first issue for some people and explaining who the character is in three pages mm-hmm. and B within those self same three pages we meet the central character and his alter ego yeah. three pages 
There's no taking seven issues There's not much there to get the to the character in the suit. Or explain an origin that can be one in 15 pages. With three pages, they succeeded in getting my attention. Yes. It was an exceptionally well done job. Well, um, the soldiers in this have the same approach to uniforms as the Green Lanterns do. What, it, they're all different? It's a multiform. Yeah. It's not a uniform then, is it? No. If they're all different. Isn't a uniform, they're all the Uni- same? <laughs> yeah? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, the Green Lantern Corps don't seem to have learned that lesson, do they? Um, pages six through nine are almost new frontier levels of awesome. The Flash is such a cool character when he's handled properly, and here he's handled properly. He disarms the terrorist really quickly, but still makes a few mistakes, making him fallible. The scene where he vibrates the criminal through the wall as he falls, and then himself through the floor, saving both their lives ostensibly ostensibly, or he thinks he's saved both their lives at this point, doesn't he? Is is really cool. I especially like his line at the end about never doing that again. And there's an appearance by Iris West. And I love his thing about this is going to hurt as he yeah. falls. Does it hurt him? Because that's not followed up on. He's got a note to self, don't vibrate using that frequency. Yeah. Implying that something went wrong. Yeah, you Because he, he, he made a big hole in the floor. But he's not yeah. dead. No. So, any landing you can walk away from gets my vote. Well, page 8 pretty is awesome. The one before that. And I, yeah. really, I really do like that panel layout. Yeah, it is really good. We need to explain that better just to emphasise its coolness. The Flash is falling with the terrorist. He's, in the middle panel. Yeah, in the top. In the middle panels, the Flash throws the terrorist away from him. Then does that really cool thing with his arm, creating a vortex. Pushing the criminal into the left yeah, panel. pushing the criminal into the left-hand panel. The panels down the left and right-hand sides are in a different colour, mm-hmm. apart from the panel where he's vibrating the terrace through the wall. He then hits the floor, into which is three-quarters of the way down the page. Yeah. The two panels at the bottom of the page then go underground to show us the sewer as the flash vibrates himself through the floor. Yeah, It's fantastic, isn't it? It's, it's just a, such a great page. Really, really good. Page 10. Look, proper secret identity stuff. Okay. With the Flash disappearing and Barry reappearing. Okay. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful and stuff. And I work at a, criminal, uh, at a police lab. You're giving your identity away, Barry. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's really, really good. I'm, I'm loving this already. Yes. Uh, page 11, the flashback is in watercolours. And he's lovely to look at. And here we see the writer's trick of making the story personal to the hero. When Flash unmasks the terrorist that he thought he'd saved by vibrating him through the wall, he recognises who he is. And we do get the thing that people ask why Superman hangs around with the same people as Clark Kent. Or why Peter Parker hangs around with Gwen and Aunt May. And then these are the people that are threatened in Spider-Man's life. It's because without a personal connection to the lead, the story has less resonance. Is it contrived? Yes. Is it coincidental? Yes. But the story wouldn't have any emotional kick without it. Mm. You need to have Lois Lane be the one who falls out of the helicopter. Otherwise, if it's just Joe Blow, it's cool that Superman saves her. But but who gives it to us, really? On page 12, you have Iris West, investigative reporter. Uh, I love the line about... um, Is it true that the Flash had something to do with the suspect's death? Who told you that, Iris? So it is true. And it's like, that's so not what he said. Yeah. He answered the question with a question. He neither confirmed nor denied. And Iris is like, okay, 
That's, that must be true then. She's another Lois Lane. Yeah. Was Iris always Lois Lane? I don't know. I'm pretty sure she always worked with, for the citizen. Right. I think. Could be wrong. Because I presume this is another career woman. Yeah. I wonder if Iris and Lois ever teamed up. Dunno. I wonder if that, if somebody knows of that, let me know where that is, because I wouldn't mind reading that. Yeah. Iris and Lois teaming up. Um, Patty's jealousy of this is handled really well as well, isn't it? Mm. Where she's like, she comes on a little strong, doesn't she? That's woman jealousy, that. Yeah, it is. It's handled really well. But she won't admit it. Oh, no. <laughs> she won't admit it. Uh, page 14 is seven kinds of awesome, and it's just flash standing still on a building. Why? What do you like about that one? I just... Like the layout of it. And the colour in as well. Yeah, again, it's another page that looks like it's just been coloured from the pencils. I like the Flash's costume. Mm. It's... I, I can't decide... Even though it's all lines. Yeah, and again, with the knee pads. And again, with... You, the lines are superfluous. Why do we need the lines? Is there an in-story reason for that? Yeah, it's where it, it, the suit connects up when it... So that's where the light... Yes, yeah. you're right, it does mention that, And it? it's also pretty cool how the just lines when he's normal, but when he runs fast, they all light up and go... Right, so he has an in-story reason for all the lines being on his costume. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. But so Batman and, and Superman, Superman don't. don't. Yeah. Right, okay, well, I can understand Batman having knee pads, yeah. to be honest with you. He, he rolls, rolls around a lot. He rolls around a lot. Superman don't need them. No. I don't think. Um, page 15 is a full-page splash of Barry doing stuff at super speed, um, which reminds me of the pilot episode of the TV show where he cleaned his apartment. Yeah. It's... Again, we're going to have to have to try and explain this. It's one big panel of Barry in his apartment building. And the shot from overhead shows the entire layout of his apartment. And he's sat at his computer, and then he's got his work desk, and then he's got his kitchen area. But... Being the Flash, in this one page, he's in five different places at once. And he's going to the loop. Plus, you've got subset panels of him doing other stuff. Of him answering the phone and making a cup of tea and all of that stuff. It's just really well thought out, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because it's never confusing how to read it. Because of where all the captions are. Yeah, it's like, has Francis Manipal written stuff before? Wrist stuff, and I don't think so. I because think he's an exceptionally good visual storyteller. At least he's, he's an artist as well. Yeah, so it really does work. You, the page eighteen, you've got the excellent scene where Barry accidentally yes. falls into the water so that he can change into the Flash, and the splash sound effect is the word "splash." Yeah, like in the uh, Will Eisner Spirit comics. It's, a, it's really good. It's excellent. It's very, very well done. It's an excellent first issue all round, isn't it? Yeah. All things considered. Um, the characters are all introduced well. There's a good central mystery set up. It's got a great cliffhanger. There's a very Darwin Cook influence to the artwork. But that's not a negative. I'm not being negative about that at all. There's also a dash of Will Eisner. But again, not a negative. Okay. And arguably, if DC had done this with its characters all the time, there'd have been no need for a reboot in the first place, would there? No. This tells you everything you need to know about The Flash, if you've never read it before, as well as giving you a reason to come back next week. Sorry, next month. Okay. Still think we're in weekly comics. Mm. Um, The adverts in this are all adverts for the new 52, pretty much. Same as what was in Justice League, but there's an advert for Once Upon a Time, the TV show, which we've just started watching with the evil queen. Is that better than the other one? Is it better than Grimm? Yes. They're different shows. Essentially, they're both about the same thing. 
but the two completely different shows. Oh, two different so, roads onto the same. Yeah, right. essentially, Grimm is a police procedural, but with monsters. Whereas Once Upon a Time is a bit more fantastical because okay. it's a Disney show. Having said that, there's quite a lot of profanity of a low level, yes, PG profanity and violence in it for a Disney show. Okay. But it's it's not bad. It's not a bad show by any means. Do you have anything else to say about issue number one? Um, no. Okay. Only than this new Fifty Two was where they started introducing, well, really introducing artists as writers. Yeah, well, but, so I mean, both book less of Man and Polar Artists, but both writing that. David Finch wrote his Batman. I thought Paul Jenkins helped him out. He might have done, but he still has something to do with it. Yeah. Same with J.H. Williams, who was writing Batwoman. Batwoman. Yes. And he's just write the artist writing. And Robley Field's now writing and drawing, isn't he? Oh, but that's further on, yeah. Yeah, but he will but come in and do it. He's crap, so we ignore him. <sighs> you know he what? is so bad. I have no idea why he's still working, because everything about everything he's ever done is wrong. Carry on, no, I don't, I don't mind you having a rant, it makes a change for me doing it. A, a, like a terrible artist. He's not grown as an artist at all. Every, everything he does now looks modern, but it's still as crap as it was in the 90s. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you're not digging Rob Liffield? No. Okay. But that X-Force, that's going to put your kids through college. <laughs> Is it? No. It, it was in the 50p bins this week at the comic bar, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. yeah. Along with X-Men number one by Jim Lee from 1990. Flash number two, because we're not an X-podcast, came out on October 26, 2011 as a cover by Francis Manaple. It's a close-up of the Flash's head with his brain visible through the mask and it's all covered in lightning with a large strike through it. They saved Barry's brain. Yeah, it is a very 50s-inspired cover. It's also a lot like that bit in The Omen where Patrick Troughton gets impaled and then regenerates into John Pertwee. Okay. Just like that. Does that actually happen? Not in The Omen, no, because right. he didn't play Doctor Who in The Omen. Yeah, okay. But in Doctor Who, he regenerated into John Pertwee. Yeah. See what I did there? Yeah. It was very clever, that, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. But I had to explain it, so... It was that clever. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> I, I love the colouring on the cover. It looks like it was coloured in in pencil and then reproduced exactly like that on the cover, doesn't it? It yeah. actually looks like he's coloured that in in Crayola. You were the whites as well, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really, really effective. Um, again, it's the new 52, so variants abound. The variant was by Greg Capullo, and there's a second print variant of the main cover in grayscale. Um, I urge you to check out Mike's Wonderful World of DC Comics to see all the different variant covers. They're a bit behind, though. Uh, all of these are up. Oh, are they? Yeah, in fact, I emailed him about this one, actually. On Mike's DC, they had that this one didn't have a title. But it does. It's called Think Fast. Okay. Um, it's by exactly the same creative team. The Flash warns the Manuel clones to let Manuel go, and then makes like Nightwing with two sticks, taking out the Urzat's Manuels. However, there are too many of them, and they take Iris. They tell the Flash to stay put and forget about Manuel Largo. Leave him to mob rule, which is the name yeah. they've called themselves. The Flash checks that Iris is okay and then meets up with Dr. Elias who is testing the limits of the Flash's power. He says that Barry accesses the speed force and his body operates at top capacity, but his brain is only accessing a fraction of the speed force available to him. He needs to think faster. He ponders this and whilst talking to Patty about Manuel and his mysterious death, he starts being aware of everything. This continues through his meeting with Iris and he saves lives whilst learning that Manuel's military record is missing and he was a deep cover operative for the CIA. 
Iris has a copy of his unofficial passport and Barry proceeds from there. His investigations and memories collide. The CIA training ground where Manuel trained was gone and Barry remembers him just as disappearing after a phone call saying he'd had enough. As Iris, Patty and Barry investigate simultaneously across Central City, the power just stops, causing a massive blackout. Um, once again, the first two pages emphasise the flash's speed. The panel on the top of page two and three, which again is a two-page spread. It's pretty damn kick-ass. It is. It's awesome, isn't it? It's, yeah. The flash moves across the page, taking out mob rule. It's just sublime. But there's the colour as well. So. Yeah. It's brilliant. Um, it's telling that mob rules say they have the Flash's lady friend. He says Iris, not Patty. Mm. Which I thought was quite telling. But yeah, that top panel. Um, it's very Crisis. Yeah. The Arlette Ross cover. Yes, it is a little bit of a Crisis homage. The Flash is basically in eight places at once in that page. He basically does what Nightwing does with his two... What do they call those two? They have a proper name. Billy and I'm blanking clubs. on them. We'll call them Billy Clubs, even though they're not. They have a proper name. Yeah. He picks up two sticks... And he just beats the crap out of most members of Mob Rule. And it's all in red except for the yellow. Yeah, and it's all in red except for his yellow boots and yellow earpieces and yellow belt. It's it's brilliant. It's fantastic. I can't say enough nice things mm. about the artwork. Um, page four, again, has the Flash logo be part of the art. And I've always liked it when they do stuff like that. Yeah. Again, very Will Eisner. It's, it's not the best example of them doing this in Flash, but it's still pretty good. No, no. Well, they do it an awful lot in the, the Manipul yeah. run on the Flash, but every time they do it, it's pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. It's never disappointing. Um, page five, not only is there a great reference to the Cosmic Treadmill, the art in the panel where the Flash destroys a regular treadmill is just fantastic. Mm. He gives him a regular, Dr. Elias gives him a regular treadmill yeah. to just test the limits of his speed. And the last panel again just looks like pencils where the flash runs so fast he's destroying the treadmill. And they don't make an effort to make the flash look like he's moving. There's just lots of speed lines, and it's the effect of the treadmill being destroyed around him yeah. that, make, that sells the panel. It's an exceptionally good piece of work. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> on, on page 8. Where he taps into the Speed Force. Mm. I'm not sure if it is him tapping into Speed Force or he's just pretending to listen to Patty while it's actually looking at that blonde down the road. Uh, I got that his brain is accessing the Speed Force, no, but he's I, not thinking about it. Yeah, I, 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 I was making a joke. Oh, sorry about that. It is fine. I do apologise. It is, yeah, it's a really good panel. I love the art on page 8. When Barry's mind starts accessing the Speed Force, Manipul and Buccaletto use a grayscale covering scheme mm. on the background whilst Barry is in colour. And all the things that he's accessing in his speeded up brain are also in colour. The other panels look like a different art style. Yes. I can't exactly know what it is. It looks very quickly or They looked inked. Yeah. Is what it is. The panels where he's, he's tapping into the speed force looked inked. And the panel with Patty doesn't. Yeah. Well, that just looks like it's grayscale pencils. Those are the panels of a, say, Mobius style cartoon or Quitler. Hmm. Yeah, I see what you mean, but it's a really good effect, isn't it? Mm. And, like, Barry's suddenly quite shocked by what he's seeing. They carry this effect onto the next page, um, because it's similar to what Jim Lee did in Hush. Didn't he do a couple of panels like that when they did Hush? Yeah. Where they were just the pencils. Um, And I love the art on pages 9 through 12. I really don't think our description of this is going to do it justice. This is the time when being an audio medium has let us down. When... 
story-wise, Barry's mind taps into the speed force and he's able to discern possible future events and how to best proceed. And it's just visually stunning. It's like his mind has accessed every possible outcome from the events that are about to happen. And he taps into the speed force and picks the best way to stop any of it from happening. It's There are small panels and large panels, alternative outcomes. Barry piecing it all together and seeing how he can save lives without making a mistake. And in a few swift moves he prevents a car crash, a robbery, a murder and an accidental death in one go. And what's awesome about it again is the artwork is just so crisp and clear and never confusing. Hats off to Manipal and Bucaletto here. What could have been an incredibly confusing mishmash is beautifully rendered in the story. Yeah. And I love that he just disappears, does that one thing that saves the day, and then he's back having the conversation with Iris that he was having originally. Well, it's, it's pretty cool. It seems like Flash and Barry are two separate people because of the speed. Mm. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's really, really well done. And I love how he, he sets up... That's very all-star Superman, where there's yes. a car that is about to crash into somebody, and what Barry does is he lays a $5 bill on the floor in front of the guy so that he bends down and picks up the $5 bill and the car just misses him, mm-hmm. which is similar to what Clark Kent did in All-Star Superman, isn't it? Yeah. Where it looked like he was bumbling and he bumped into somebody, but he bumped into them and pushed them out of the way of a car. Have you read one of the recent Shellyfish backups where they do that, but they hit you in the face saying, this is what he was doing? Yeah, it was much more subtle yes. in All-Star Superman, to be said. Um, the rest of the issue is quite hard to synopsis because there's lots of cross-cutting and single panels building up to the end where Barry is learning how to process being able to tap his mind into the speed force. But it's a very solid chapter in the story for all that. It pushes the plot forward and builds up the mystery. We're learning a little bit more about Manuel, what his deal is, and what is this being able to tap into the speed force into his brain and will it play out and is it going to be end up being a good thing? But there is lots of setup at like Iron Heights Prison for next issue and Central City Police Lab and Mercury Labs and the Gem City Bridge. The, it's all good stuff, all very well len- rendered. And then we get the power blackout that will propel us into the next part of the storyline. Yeah, the, the panel at the end with the flash and the plane... It is pretty cool, and if I remember correctly, the image was used for promotion before the first issue was released. Was it that one? Yeah, it was just... Right, they cut the top three panels off, and just used the panel of the plane coming down. Why why does a power blackout affect airplanes? It's an AMP blast. Oh, so it is, yes. It's all the man he's using, the Doctor dude, to fix them all, but it goes wrong. It turns out it's an EMP, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, my bad. Um, issue 3 has another great cover um, mostly white I've mentioned before I'm a sucker for white covers mm. I don't know why because um, issue 3 and 4 both use this technique and you can't look at both of them and say they're not visually appealing Yeah. Um, so issue 3's cover is mostly white as the Flash is attacked by mob rule whilst Manuel is pulled away into the background again there's a variant by Jim Lee and Scott Williams that looks like every Jim Lee drawing you've ever seen and a pencils variant of this same cover it came out on November 23rd 2011 and was entitled Lights Out it was by the exact same creative team as previously um, the story picks up exactly where the last one left off Flash acts fast saving everybody with quick reactions and even quicker thinking he can't prevent the death of Dr. Guerrero, however, the man responsible for his friend, Manuel Lago. Logo, 
Logo. Largo was a guinea pig for Guerrero's experiments that groom a new hand after it was blown off, but then, eventually, turned into cloning and developing a superhuman soldier with the ability to regenerate limbs and recover from injury. However, Manuel has gone AWOL from the program, as all of his clones seem to have a finite lifespan, and Guerrero has failed to find a way to prolong this lifespan. Flash has no time to ponder his friend at the moment as the city needs him. With the blackout in full effect, he races about town helping people, as do the police, including Patty Spivert. Whilst at Iron Heights Penitentiary, Iris West is taken hostage by Captain Cold and the Rogues. Dr. Elias is also trying to find out how the blackout was caused. He has tracked the traces of an EM pulse to the edge of the city where he is kidnapped by mob rule. The next day, Barry and Patty are assigned to patrol 7th and 4th on horses. Patty tells Barry that the project Manuel was involved in was Project Bellator, and the doctors involved have labs in neighbouring Keystone City. Patty and Barry locate the labs and Manuel sans hand, but in escape they are cornered by mob rule. Barry pushes Patty and Manuel through a doorway and slams it shut. He taps into the speed force only to take a bullet to the head for his troubles. It's very dramatic. Uh, once again... We get an Eisner-inspired splash page with the plane falling from the sky with all of the people of Central City suddenly plunged into trouble due to the power outage depicted within. Internal monologue reveals to us that although the Flash likes the smell of coffee, he hates the taste. It's an exceptionally good Flash page, isn't it? Yes, and that first one, the DC Comics probably stands, looks like it was certainly done in felt yeah, tip. Yeah, it was done in felt tip. Because it's yeah. a bit uneven as well. Yeah, um, the Flash is underneath the plane as it's coming in for a crash. It's an undershot was the kind that Gil Kane used to be very fond of. But actually, in the plane, you've got all the people all over town that are currently in trouble because of the EMP blast. So you've got a woman whose car's just cut out. You've got the people in the plane who are panicking because the plane's just falling to earth. It's it's brilliant. And the flash, the flash lettering is also in the plane as well. Yeah, the flash lettering's on the plane. And lights out. Looks like it was penciled in on the artwork. Mm-hmm. I like the credits. Um... The credit panels on page two and three where it's just the yellow, well, these costume bits. Hmm. But for, for some reason, I have no idea why, but I'm not particularly fond of having three pages on coffee. Well, it's running, it's the metaphor for him, coffee keeps you awake. Yeah. And he's going to need to stay awake a lot at the minute. Because hmm. he says he could really do with a double shot of espresso at this point. Yeah. Because being able to tap into the speed force is probably not a blessing at the minute. It's probably like he suddenly realises that all these people are in trouble. And can he possibly save them all? Well, he's the fastest man alive. Uh, No, but it doesn't mean he can do everything, does it? I mean, we've discussed this before, you can't do everything. Um, Page two and three, again, though, are wonderful. Manipul's panel layouts wonderfully convey the speed the Flash moves at, but also how fast he's currently thinking. He stops cars crashing into each other using his arms as a vortex. And then it's the coolest sequence in the book. He vibrates an entire plane that is falling from the sky through a bridge. How cool was that? Mm. It's brilliant. Um, Again, it's just a visually stunning page. It's a two-page splash again. You've got a wonderful scene of the splash using his speed to jump up to the crashing plane where he vibrates into the cockpit of the plane, then vibrates the entire plane for the next two-page spread where he vibrates the plane through a bridge, but then crashes it onto the water, saving everybody's life in the plane. Come on, that was cool. Yeah. That was really awesome. The actual project 
is described on page 7, which sounds like a cross between the Super Soldier Serum, Weapon X, and the replicants from Blade Runner. Well, you know, pig extracted extracellular matrix cloning is actually a real scientific procedure. And as a matter of fact, all of the science in this is real. Is it? They even made a big deal about them and they teamed up with Google Plus and they did a big experience, the real science behind the Flash. Oh, right. And all of this is real. Right, so pig extracted extracellular matrix cloning. Yes. Is true. Yes. And it re- they really think that it will help you grow limbs if you lose well, one. I'm, I'm not sure about that. I'm not ready. Because I thought that was more stem cell stuff. Mm. That, I'm pretty sure it will make clones of you if you cut off a finger, though. But yeah. Right. So that basically, they're just extrapolating the science yes. to make science fiction. Yes. Which is what good science fiction is. Yes. Right. Okay. Very good. Right. Again, the flashback sequences all look like the penciled. It's really, really good. Um, I do like the flash. Signing the boy's autograph on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> that is quite a nice little touch, that, that he autographs the boy. A napkin by the looks of things, doesn't it? Yeah. Something from on the plane, anyway. Um, the blackout causes the security at Iron Heights Penitentiary to fail. This will lead into the Captain Cold two-parter that follows this introductory story arc. Now, I haven't read Captain Atom 3. Yes. But what's the trickster doing with a tank in the middle of nowhere with an editor's note for Captain Atom 3? Um, I don't know, because I haven't read Captain Atom 3 either. Mm. The reason the tank is there is explained in issue 5 of this book. Yes, but it also says, read Captain Atom 3. Yeah, because I'm presuming that the tank appeared in Captain Atom 3 for some reason. And everyone was like, what's going on? Yeah, why is that tank there? And they've probably said something like, if you want to find out why there's a tank here, see the Flash 3. Yes. But the, the explanation of why the tank is there is explained in this back, yeah. not in Captain Atom. So I didn't mind that. Um, Bellator means warrior in Latin. Okay. So Project Bellator is once again alluding to Latin. Everything comes from Latin or Greek. It, yeah. I thought you did Latin at school. For two years, but I dropped it because my teacher kept yelling at me. You will fail. Okay. <laughs> well, that's the self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? They're going to tell you that you're going to fail. Um, it's a cool cliffhanger again. Another excellent cliffhanger, another solid issue. All the plot points converging nicely, and even some subplots regarding an upcoming storyline. I miss subplots. Mm. Comics don't really do subplots anymore, do they? And then there's a sneak preview of the Ray at the back of this, which we never bothered buying no. or reading. It's by three people we like, though. Who's it by? Jimmy Pamiotta. Jimmy Pamiotti. The other guy who doesn't seem to be able to write a comic with without... Justin Gray. Uh, yeah, and Jamal Eagle. I'm not saying it's not good. Mm. It's just uh, we never bothered picking it up for whatever reason. The final two pages are pretty cool. Yes, the final two pages are a multiple panel. I, I, I especially like the one of them getting shot. Who, the Flash? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he accesses the speed force when the gun goes off. To see what he could do. To see what he could do and spend so much time thinking what he could do he gets shot in the head. Yeah. It would be interesting if they killed Barry Allen off in issue three. It would. <laughs> but... DC did the entire thing where he ruins the, uh, all of the thingies, the uh, cliffhangers for issue three. Why? Do you remember, it's in the back of four or five, where they, they say, oh, ain't cliffhangers well good. If you miss these <laughs> issues, if you miss these issues, then at the end of Flash, Barry got shot. At the end of Green Lantern, Bar- um, Hal imploded. At the end of uh, Batman, Batman exploded. Yeah. Oh, it's in the next one, eh? Is it? So the end of issue five, because it's not called the Meanwhile column anymore, is it? It's called DC Comics All Access. Oh, it must have been that one, anyway. But it was. Oh, remember the one that you're, you're talking about? Because you'd read a comic, 
yeah. and then it gave away lots of cliffhangers of comics that I'd not read yet. Well, you read Flash before Batman, yeah. so... And it ruined the ending of Batman for me. Yeah. Either way, you could have read Batman before Flash, you know. And it would have ruined the end of the Flash for me. Yeah. So, fair enough. Uh, number four came out on December 28th, 2011, again had a cover by Francis Manipal, of the Flash seeing different scenarios via the Speed Force, none of which looks that particularly enticing. Again, it's got one of those glorious white backgrounds which really makes it pop, but the Flash is accessing the Speed Force via his brain and there's lots of multiple panels all across the cover where he's, he's, you can see the tank and him getting shot in the head and what's happened to Patty and what's happened to Iris on Iron Heights and it's just another great cover. That's, that's my favourite a lot really. If not just because of the flash and the gunshot bit. Yeah. Again because it's got the white background. There's something about white covers mm. that just makes them really pop off the on bright. the stands. You, your eyes attract them because it's bright. Yeah and especially if the foreground image is so compelling. Yeah. Which that one is. Um... Again, there's variants. There's a pencils variant again. Eric Basildua gives the Flash huge thighs on his variant cover. Uh, again, there's no change to the creative team except the letters are now by Carlos Mangual. And the title is Mob Rule. In flashback, we learn that Manuel's father was killed on a plane by hijackers and Manuel vows to kill every single man responsible. Back in the present, Mob Rule explained to Dr. Elias that they want more life. And with the help of his genome decoder, he is the man to do that for them. They tell Elias that Manuel Largo was a covert operative, the best, around, and no one's ever going to keep him down. But he was just biding his time, gathering intel. Once he found the names of his father's killers, he went rogue, systematically eliminating every single one. However, he was caught and tortured. When Manuel's kidnappers discovered he could regenerate, they started cutting off limb after limb, and from severed limbs, the other clones were born. They all have their own personalities but are linked together, and although they can regenerate like he can, they cannot spawn new life like he did with the severed limbs. Banding together, they overpowered the guards and rescued Manuel, but when they were discovered they were dying, Manuel abandoned them. Dr. Elias agrees to help, they will need Manuel to do it. Manuel and Patty have made it back to Central City, and she elects to stay there and help the police contain the problem in the city. Manuel starts back to find Barry, but is cornered by mob rule who say he's dead. They take Manuel back with them. At Iron Heights prison, Iris West tries to escape the clutches of Captain Cold. Barry isn't dead, fortunately. At the last second possible, his insects kick in his insects. His instincts kicked in, causing the bullet to vibrate through his head, but not before it nicked his skin. He realises he's been too focused on the mental part of his powers getting lost in probabilities, and it almost cost him his life in the here and now. He realises the building is rigged to blow, pops the suit out of his ring, and runs off. You can guess what the score to this one's going to be, can't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. The flashback sequence on the first two pages is again gorgeously rendered. In addition to being in flashback blue, there is again a watercolour feel to the pages, like they've been printed directly from the pencils, giving them a very raw feel. Um, pages four and five are the traditional two-page splash page, two pages later than normal. But given the feel of the opening titles of a Bond movie... With very Nick Fury, yeah. yeah, very Nick Fury, very James Bond, with jet skis, very in like Flint, um, with explosions, scuba diving, and parachuting into enemy territory with guns blazing. Um, yeah, again, in this title, do we have a reference to another title? But, Suicide Squad. Yes, but at least they aren't shoehorned in for no reason, like Storm watching Superman. Yeah, see, I don't mind little things like that where you're creating a shared universe, where yes. you're saying this tank is in Atom 3. Yes. But you don't need to read Atom 3. No. 
to we understand. Haven't. We haven't, and this Flash story stands perfectly well on its own. Um, pages six and seven. In fact, the written lot of this issue is double page spreads detailing how Manuel's kidnappers discovered that he can regenerate. So first they cut off a finger, and then his full hand. Did they ever cut off his head? Because this is where cellular regeneration thing starts to lose me. Especially if the brain is separated. Yeah, yeah, it's just become ridiculous with Wolverine, hasn't it? Surely if you cut off a person's head, they're dead. Yes. Without brain function, they're gone. So how does how do, do they grow a new head? Or does the head grow a new body? And if they do, does that head have the memories and personality traits of the original? Because Manipal clearly ex- explains here in the story that all of Manuel's clones have their own personalities, despite all being linked together via a psychic link, implying that the brain is different for every one of them. So if the kidnappers had cut off Manuel's head, would they have killed him even if a new body grew from that head? Oh, you just have two dead bodies, though. Would you? Because um, it's, never, it's never said if they actually go, well, all right, what happens if we cut off his head? Well, it doesn't matter either way, because all the clones come from arms, so there is no head on an arm. Well, that's what so, I'm saying. If yeah. they cut off the original's head, what would happen? Hmm. And what would happen if they cut off his, his you know... Um, would they just grow from that? Because he really would be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear me. I'm sorry about that. I couldn't resist. Um, all that being said... You do start to feel quite sorry for mob rule here. There are elements of slavery to this Mm. story, aren't there? Like using people for what you want and then discarding them. And the whole thorny issue of cloning and if those clones have their own lives. I mean, I mentioned earlier on it's like the replicants, but it it is very similar to the themes presented in Blade Runner. Yeah. I I do like the panels of the hands losing fingers. Well, all the panels are hands, but each one of them is losing a finger. Yes, it's really good. Um, That made me chuckle, even though I know it shouldn't. Even Yeah, it is really good. Um... The two-page spread where we learn about this, that the clones regenerate from the severed body parts. The top of both pages is hands with different bits of the fingers cut off, as Michael yes, says. As is the bottom and the middle of two feet. <laughs> there is a, a quite darkly comic yeah. element to those two pages. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very good. And there's some more damn cool, quickly Mobius-esque panels on page 13. Where he, the panel turns yeah. at an angle and he jumps out of the panel. Yeah, he jumps out of the panel of the comic and the word thud mm. is again part of the artwork. Yeah. Which, again, Eisner, but, you know, that's no bad thing. Page 17. 17 pages into the issue, we resolve last month's cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. 17 pages before they resolve the cliffhanger. And it's a testament to how good this book is that even though we're itching to find out how Barry survived, we never want to skip ahead. Yeah. Because the story and the artwork are just so compelling. I love um, the penultimate page of the story where Barry jumps out of the exploding building, mm-hmm. putting his Flash costume on as he falls. Well, I like how it, the, the suit attaches itself to him like Iron Man. Like, it, the, the ring flies ahead of him and the costume explodes Does he? and he jumps into it. Yeah, oh yeah, he kind of pops the ring off, and it doesn't he? Shoots off, yeah, and then the and then the ring explodes and turns into bits of it, in which he jumps into, and the costume engulfs him. Yeah, which is really cool. Mm. See, the problem with that is they do that in a film, and the costume would be all CG, like in Green Lantern. Yes, and it just didn't look particularly good all in CG. 
Unless they did those bits CG and then he wore a proper costume. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to do a Flash movie and see how they did it now. There's a lot of plot exposition in the issue, but it never seems overwritten or laboured. The art is beautifully composed, lots of two-page sequences with different panel layouts and watercolours. The cliffhanger ending is resolved satisfactorily, and we have a Barry ready to take the fight to mob rule in time for the climax. It benefits from not being padded out to be a six-page, six-issue story. Yeah. It's doing really well, mm. isn't it? It's a very, very good storyline. Um, number Flash 5. Number Flash 5. Number 5 of The Flash came out January 25th, 2012, with a cover of The Flash racing towards Manuel, who's strapped into an electric chair. The Flash doesn't have a good track record with electric chairs. No. Based on Flashpoint. Uh, some kind of skulls emanate from this electric chair. Again, it's by Francis Manipal, as I mentioned. The pencils variant again is an option. Or you could go for the Gary Frank variant if you so wished. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a title-less final issue of the opening story arc, but was this time lettered by Wes Abbott. All the other credits remain the same. At Dr. Elias's labs, he wants to get work analysing Bob Rule to see if the flaw in the cloned DNA can be isolated whilst the Flash arrives with two tugboats of supplies and generators in his wake, courtesy of Wayne Enterprises. He spots an ice flow from Iron Heights and speeds over, taking out some low-level bad guys and rescuing Iris and some police guards. At Elias' labs, Manuel has been hooked up to an electromagnetic generator that, with the right application of energy provided by Elias' generators, will send out a pulse that, with the help of the genome recoder, will rewrite the DNA of the clones without harming Manuel. The process begins as Flash shows up. After a brief fighting at Feitenstein with Mob Rule, Elias explains that the generator isn't holding the electromagnetic charge and the Flash has to contain the blast. Flash creates a vortex that propels the blast into the atmosphere. In the ensuing melee, the clones die. Manuel snaps, kicking an exhausted Flash in the head and knocking out Elias before disappearing. Barry later reveals himself to be alive to the Gotham City PD, but in an abandoned warehouse, Manuel cuts off a finger, making himself a new army. Mob rule will return. In the epilogue, Dr. Elias contacts the Flash. Turns out the blackout was caused by the Flash. Every time he accesses the Speed Force, he creates a time rift that spits out randomly across time. When he created the Vortex to contain the blast last night, it sent the power back in time as an EMP blast that caused the blackout a few days ago. Elias points to other evidence that says they have to destroy the Speed Force. One of those is the tank. Yes. At some point, one of the Flash's pulses has brought the Flash, the tank, into the present. Yeah. I thought that was a really cyclical and clever time travel story. Mm. That the Flash had to do that bit at the end to make the events of issue three happen. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. Um, Pages four and five, again, we've got a double page spread. The Flash pulls the tugboats across the sea in his wake. It's an exceptionally cool splash. Again, the credits saying DC Comics presents The Flash are part of the artwork. In this case, the part of the ice flow that is on the water that The Flash is running across. And I always find it cool when The Flash runs on water. How strong is it? Um, Because speed doesn't necessarily equal strength. And he's pulling two tugboats on water. Yeah, but there's a slipstream. Isn't there? Okay. So it's the the implication is that he's pulling this in the slipstream, is my understanding of it. 
um, pages two and pages seven. Manipul assumes people don't know who these characters are and gives them name in the dialogue. You know, like old comics used to do. And it's very well done. It doesn't feel expositional or forced. But I know that Iris was attacked by Tar Pit, Gerda, and the Folded Man. Mm-hmm. See, it's not difficult, is it, to do that? It's not hard. Dear Jeff, not everyone has read every DC comic ever written. Mm-hmm. Tell us who these characters are. Love, Andy. Yeah, that Flash running around the explosion looks quite cool, but it's it's similar to Crisis on Infinite Earths as well. Uh, well, they seem to homage Barry's death in the Crisis on Infinite Earths quite a lot, don't they? Yeah. To be honest with you, I don't mind that too much. I I, I quite like it. Page eleven. Manuel goes from running away to being gung ho to help to being pissed off that all his clones are dead extremely quickly, doesn't he? Mm. Especially seen as why did he run away to begin with? No, I don't he's, th- he's escaping from them, but then he wants to create more of them. Yeah, it's, it's like that. Came, that was a plot twist that came out of left field. Mm. To be honest with you, um, it's a very fast-paced conclusion to the story, which itself was a very fast-paced five issues, appropriately mm-hmm. for a flash story. Uh, the action's frenetic but easy to follow. The story flowed logically, with events in issue one being used as set up for the events of issue five, and the art was just lovely. Uh, it has very much the feel of an old-school, straight-up superhero comic. The hero's in the suit from the first page, the introductions are all well handled, and the exposition is done within the story at pertinent places, and the Flash does cool stuff that only the Flash could do. There are some dangling subplots, worded Captain Cold go, mm-hmm. and some unresolved romantic entanglements. Is he going to go for Patty, or is he going for Iris? It's very Gwen and Murray Jane. Yeah. Isn't it? And through it all... We have a heroic lead character doing good stuff without angst or padding. And this story was done in five issues, but with a cliffhanger leading into next issue. A very good start to the new 52. But as I think I mentioned, if all comics were written in this style in the first place, there wouldn't have been a need for a reboot. Well, not every writer can write in that. No, because it's like everything you need to know is in this issue, isn't it? Yes. It's a perfectly readable and understandable five-issue story. You don't need to have read The Flash before to read this. It's really, really good. Uh, Captain Cold went on to issues five and six. Sorry. Yeah, six and seven, sorry. Were blaming The Flash for his sister's illness, which caused, which was caused by the EMP. Yeah. He launches an all-out attack on the fastest man alive. Was it her sickness was caused by the EMP, or was it she was she sick? She was already the sick. Hospital the hospital shut. couldn't yeah. do anything because the EMP had shut down. Yes. And then when they find out that the Flash was responsible for that, Captain Cold holds the Flash responsible. Well, you would. I mean, how many other people? Yeah, it's, it's it's a fair comment. To how be many honest, other it? planes would have crashed? Um, in the trade, issue six and seven are included as part of the story, and I think issue eight is as well. Is it? Which was another standalone well, issue. Of a, is it? With um, the Captain Cold, that's the start of The Flash is Gone, look, which will all be right. the War of the Rose. So maybe it's only the first seven issues then. I don't uh, know, because we don't get the trade paperbacks. We do not. But I, I understand that six and seven have been lumped in the first trade, so you're not only getting five issues if you go out and buy the trade paperback. Uh, that was it for our coverage of the New 52 books. Mm-hmm. What's your favourite New 52 book, Michael? Animal Man and Swamp Thing. Not Justice League Dark. That's going up Is there, that yeah. up there? It's, yeah. You like the dark books, do you? I, I do. 
Pieces vertigo. Uh, mine's Flash, Batman, and All Star Western. Yeah, I'm, I'm digging on Batman, yeah. And uh, action. You say that with reservations, though, don't you? Because I'm not enjoy. I'm not really enjoying action on a monthly Maybe basis. Maybe you will when you read all yeah. sixteen issues. Yeah. When you read it, when it finishes and his sixteen issue runs done, yes. you will go back and read the whole thing and go, "All oh, right." Yeah. And I'm enjoying Aquaman, even though you're not. I'm not not enjoying Aquaman. My problem with Aquaman is it doesn't take me more than three minutes to read an issue. The last one was lengthier. Only a bit. Something happened, didn't it? I still read it walking to the train station. Yes. It's like, oh. Okay, that's it. That's our new 52 season done. Um, Next week, we've got a special one-off episode. Looking at the new Teen Titans, the Judas Contract. Is it not the old Teen Titans? Technically, it's the old Teen Titans. (laughs) Who were new at the time that the issue was published. Yes. Yes. Uh, but there's an awful lot of backstory to cover. So I've done notes for that. I am waiting for Michael to read it. I'll be very interested in what Michael thinks of this. Why? Because Marv Wolfman is what you would call ye old school writer. Yeah. And you're not a big fan of George Perez's artwork. I, I tried reading games and it, I wasn't enjoying it. Did you not? No. See, I think... Games worked for me because it was all the characters from the Teen Titans that I'd grown up with. Mm-hmm. Slightly altered from when I read them because Wonder Girl was now Troy yeah. or something like that. But for the most part, it, it worked out fine. So that's next week's episode. After that, we have Hey Kids Comics Spotlight On. Where for six weeks, we are both going to do a particular show about one of our all-time favourite creators. So I'm going to do three of my favourites. Michael's going to do three of his favourites. Get on Facebook, or email in, and see if you can guess which three we're both going to choose. I know that would be an interesting game to see if people can guess where we're going to go. I've already decided for death. Michael Bailey is not allowed to enter. Is he not? Because Mike Bailey knows what I'm going to do. Right. Because I've already talked to him. Well, for definite, I'm going to do Ditko and Kirby. No way! I don't don't believe you for a second. I don't know if I'm going to go for Neil Adams. Bull. (laughs) I'm I'm smelling bull. Are you? Yes. I don't believe for a second that you're going to do any of those people. Okay. Alright, so, uh, thank you for listening, thank you for emailing in, thank you for Facebooking, thank you for getting in touch in any way that you want to. If you don't get in touch, thank you for listening anyway. We do appreciate that even though you don't email in. Uh, We hope you enjoyed New 52. We hope you enjoy next week's episode, which is very close to my heart. I've wanted to do the Judas Contract since we started the show. Have you? Yeah, it's one of them that has been on the list since we started. It, it, it seems to pop out of nowhere for no, me. The other week it's... you went, we'll do Judas Contract. No, yeah, the other week it became, let's do the Judas Contract now. Right. Let's do a, we've done quite a lot now where we've carried on from week to week. Yeah. Oh, we've done themes, even though we didn't do the Flash last week. But you know what I mean, it's all been part of New 52. Yeah. But I've wanted to do the Judas Contract since we started. And it has just been a case of waiting for the time to be right. Okay. The time is nigh. So it's all my editing next week. All those people that love Michaels, he'll be doing another one in the next couple of weeks. So thank you very much. Go and check out the old shows on Two True Freaks. Go and check out Fantasticast. Look it up on... I don't know the webpage for that. Okay. It's on Libsyn. Just Google it. I'll go on iTunes. Yeah. I'll go and ask Stephen Lisa. Yeah, go and ask Stephen. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye.
Kids Comics says that the devil will make work for idle hands to do production, and all opinions expressed in the show by Michael and Andrew are the opinions of Michael and Andrew, and probably not to be taken too seriously. Old episodes of the show can now be found on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network at www.twotruefreaks.libsen.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsen, L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. So if you're one of those people who wanted to know where all our old shows are, that's where you'll find them. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday, currently at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the surname. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics that we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion, our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks, all one word, .com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. <laughs> <laughs>